This is Patriots Playbook. The legend. Evan and I are wearing the exact same tops today. We could be teammates. Let's be teammates, Ev. What do you think, huh? How are we going to do this week? How are we going to play? A little Jameis Winston. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a little, you know, rid, no risk it, no biscuit. That's not no, football weather. No, that's awful. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad for you guys, of course, naturally. But, I mean, I'm like, come on. Stroud's chicken has a guy strangling a chicken. He says, we choke our own chicken. Now, here's your host of Patriots Playbook, John Rook. Little TMI to end last week and to start this week. We welcome you into the playbook. It is game week five. It is uh, the Patriots and the Detroit Lions, New England back at home. Both teams are one and three. Both teams are... Well, we'll discuss that over the course of the next couple of hours here. Evan Lazar is here coming up the program as well. Uh, Eric Woodyard from ESPN.com covers the Detroit Lions. Nicole Yang from the Boston Globe. Russell Baxter, Bax football guru himself, will join us an hour or two to go through week five, and we'll get into all of that. I, there's a lot of different things that we want to go through, at least to begin with. But to start, i got to ask the one question that you probably forgot to even get answered for this week. Cheese curds. Yes, you remembered. I remembered. Did you have the cheese? Did you try the pot spotted cow? Uh, no spotted cow. Okay. There were cheese curds. There were cheese curds. They're like mozzarella sticks. Yes. Yeah, it's just they're little, like tiny little nuggets of yeah. mozzarella. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. Right. I was a little disappointed. Were you? It depends bit. on how you what you dip them in. Yeah, that, that's true. We, you know, we were not at a at an establishment where they put you know anything on them anything fancy yeah, you know no right, yeah. no cheese curd gravy i'm not sure what what that would be but you know no, Actually, no poutine you know uh, nothing yeah, like that well you know what oh, god poutine is great isn't it it's vastly underrated food um most of the time uh i get like a like a like a spicy mustard i, I don't know why i like nice. that but it's really good that to do good. that with something that's fried because the cheese is just kind of blah it's got great texture but you want a little kick that's all. And it goes real well. It went real well with the spotted cow. Yeah, so. I was pretty surprised. It was just kind of like a mini mozzarella stick, yeah. almost like a pizza roll, but without yeah. the sauce. You yeah, know, that sort of that, that's a pretty good way to describe it. Somebody so. explain the spotted cow to me. I still don't know. Spotted cow is just a brand of beer. It's a local beer in Milwaukee. There was a local... Think of like a coffee milkshake or something. <laughs> no, no, no. It's just a brand of beer. It's the, just, yeah, you know, there was a local beer on the menu that we had, but it, it wasn't Spotted Cow. It was oh. something different. So did you try asking for Spotted Cow and they didn't have it? It wasn't on the menu. Oh. Yeah, so I didn't didn't ask. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah I mean, you, you generally have to ask for it. I think most of the locals know that it's there. Yeah. Actually, the place that we hang in Milwaukee, um, I don't even know what's on the menu there. My son, who attended Marquette, he... Is the one that told me, Dad, you got to try this beer. You know, good to know that my son learned something while he was in college for Christ's sake. You know, I mean, I mean, it's just learning the things college boys should be learning. Yes, yes. Like, Dad, oh, this beer is outstanding. Okay, um, so he's the one that actually kind of got me um, hooked up with um, Spotted Cow. It is, it's very good. It's very good. It's got a little bit of a of a sweet flavor to it, which can be a little off putting if you're, you know, if you're. If you like your beer and you like to slam them down, you know, and just one after another, open up my vein, just go ahead and put that cutter slide in there, you know, something like that. If you're you're one of those. It's not hopsy. No, no, not very. But it's, I got to tell you, it actually is fairly refreshing. uh, And it's a beer that you could definitely drink more than one of. The one thing that, you know, I'll try a lot of beers. That are you know that are a little hoppy you know a little you know a little bit high in the IPA count is all I, I like to say it but it's really just kind of hoppy and they don't taste bad but you know that after you have one it's kind of like and I don't know if I could do that one again 
Spotted Cow's not like that. Spotted Cow is actually, you know, it's got a little thirst-quenching mobility to it. And so, God, now i got to get out of here and fly to Milwaukee and go get a beer. <laughs> got some Vanish awesome. Valley over here. Yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> Oh, crack, you know, pop the top. Let's go. Anyway, so, all right, so I'm glad you remembered that. I did. Um, I thought last week's football game was a really good football game. It was, um, it was, it was extremely entertaining. Uh, it was teeth gnashing the whole way, and most of that, you know, teeth gnashing, I think, you know, Patriots fans would be uh, doing toward New England. But all things considered, I mean, they were right there. They had a chance. I mean, they probably – could have, should have won again, which they've really said in all three of their losses, they've had chances to win. I mean, it's not inconceivable if you'd played a perfect season to this point in time, you know, in a perfect game, even with some of the performances we've seen, it's not unreasonable to think this team could be 3-1 and one or 4-0 if you just flip a couple of plays here and there in each game. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's often when you're – not a, a terrible team, right, that's destined to be picking in the top five. I think a lot of teams that are in similar positions as the Patriots can probably say the same thing, where ultimately it's not these glaring big issues all over the place. It's more like two or three plays here and there in key situations. Yeah, you know, right. the Packers, uh, their first drive in overtime, they went three and out. So I can't say that they were perfect in overtime either. But Mm-mm. once they gave the ball back to Rodgers the second time, they, the, the opportunity had lost. That's they, they what really – I mean, I knew them. it, Evan. I knew it at the time. You know, uh, I, I, just, I just knew it. But when they didn't go for it on fourth down in overtime, I said this game's over six minutes left or whatever, and I know, I understand the thought process, I understand the theory behind it. Yeah. You know, you got Jake Bailey, who frankly has not had a great start to his year, but, you know, you pin him down low, and you did, you pin him down low, but then, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to Aaron Rodgers at some point, and yeah. he did, and he let him down the field, and they ran out that clock, and they kicked the field goal. That's why when you're on the road, and you're in position to steal one, when nobody thinks you can, you've got to carpe diem seize the day and they didn't do that and and that disappointed me as a fan yeah I think it's tough when you look at the third down play and Bailey Zappi leaves a clean pocket and throws late to Hunter Henry and showed a little bit of panic at at that point in time that maybe on fourth and five you're not going to run the ball on fourth and five so you're going to have to go through the air but I think the biggest thing and this goes back a couple years now because the Patriots have been one of the most conservative fourth down teams in the league they were more aggressive on fourth down in the first three games of the year with Mac so maybe now that they feel like they're in a better place with Mac they feel a little bit more see, aggressive about it. Yeah, but. and that was the other thing about that. I understood the whole, all right, this is Bailey Zappi out here, not Mac Jones. So I got it. I got it. But at the same time, though, look, you drafted him for a reason. You think the guy can play Yeah. at some point. You know, maybe he's a little green behind the gills, but he can play. So let's just, I mean, what do you have to lose? You still lost the freaking game. Yeah. So but why? This, but this goes back to... 2019 2020 with Belichick as being one of the more conservative decision makers in the league and the analytics hate Bill Belichick's decision making I understand why I get it it. he's been down near the bottom of the league in terms of what the math says he should do and what he actually does and when he gives his reasoning often his reasoning is that he would it's 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 a little bit of like a 
do like he's thinking always about the doomsday scenario, right? Like, oh, well, if we give Rodgers the ball back at the 46, he needs 20 yards and the game is over versus 60 yards. Instead of thinking, oh, if we pick up these five yards, then we're going to win the game. We're thinking about what happens if we give Rodgers the ball back here. And it's 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 so conservative and it's been going on for a long time. I can't fault them given the situation on your right. third string quarterback right. on right. the road, right. all those types of things. I, I, but that's I, I exactly why you want to do it. Right. I didn't because fashion. No this one's time expecting it. Yeah. That's the time to pull the trigger on things like that. When nobody knows it's coming. I just think that if Bailey was consistently executing drop back passing with more regularity in that game, because really the only throws that he made successfully were off play action. And if he was clean in the gun and he was making the reads and making throws and stuff like that, then maybe you trust him to pick up the fourth and five. But when it had really been a disaster uh, in any sort of traditional drop back sense, that's a concern to go for it there. But what I don't like is not necessarily in that decision in a vacuum is what it is. But the bigger picture is that this has been going on for two or three seasons now. And it comes back to the fact that Bill's mindset is always to go to what happens if we don't get it. Not instead, instead of what happens if we do. And and that's just like, I, I mean, to me that look, I have tremendous ultimate respect for any decision he's made. You know, and I think we all understand why that would, be the case but it doesn't mean we have to agree all the time like for instance the whole you know deferring when you win the coin toss absolute lunacy sometimes to do that yeah. but he does it because that's just who he is this is the other thing that i'm like bill you got to understand who your team is and what position your team is this is not the 2007 new england patriots or the 2018 new england patriots this is the 2022 new england patriots which are a clear WIP work in progress and it may be a couple more years before you get them back to the level knock on Formica here that you want before you step out which is what we all kind of surmise will happen here so you, you've got to coach to the level of understanding and ability of your team and if he's doing that then this really scares me because he thinks his team can't handle it so I think it's one of two things one or two things one is either his response to that would be, well, in 2022, I trust my defense more than I trust my offense. Mm-hmm. So maybe he thought the defense was going to be able to stop Aaron Rodgers on well, that drive. Didn't. And what you do is when you pin him deep, you get a quick three and out. Now you win field position, right? And you get it from the plus 40 again, and you just go right back for it. The other thing I, I think I, I would say is that you don't need to necessarily go full shoot from the hip like the Eagles did in that 2017 Super Bowl but Doug Peterson went into that Super Bowl knowing he was the dog right he was the underdog he had the backup quarterback in Nick Foles against the greatest quarterback and the greatest head coach of all time in a good football team that season for the Patriots and what did he do he calls the Philly special he goes for it all the time and they were pedal to the metal for four quarters in that Super Bowl and I'm not saying the Patriots have to do that and go that drastically to that side of it but you are the dog now Right, like you were playing that that situation. It requires a different mindset, right? How many situations have we seen over the years where the Patriots were the home team with Tom Brady 
playing somebody else's backup quarterback. Right. And and that that was that's you now. Yes. Right? Like you're the backup yes. quarterback going to Green yes. Bay to play Aaron Rodgers. Yes. Like that's you absolutely. Now. And if you got all this reverence for Aaron Rodgers, even more of a reason for you to say, All right, we gotta get him while we got while, while we can. Right. I mean the same coach that went for it on fourth and two against Indianapolis because he didn't want to give Peyton Manning the ball back. Like where I don't understand why that where that coach went and now you would think too, on top of it. Does he has the most the best job security of any coach in the league? So like if he goes for it a couple times on fourth down and they don't make it, it's not like he's you know anything yeah, is I mean, in trouble look, there. I mean, the, maybe he's still <laughs> speaking of fourth and two. Maybe he's still gun shy by that. I don't know. I don't know. There has been some studies that show that since fourth and two, he has become more conservative since that point. Well, so maybe okay, maybe but there guess is what? To that. He didn't get to be Bill Belichick, you know, the greatest coach of all time, by just sitting on his hands and doing nothing. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't. Yeah. So I would tell you every once in a while you gotta know when to shoot from the hip. You gotta know when, you know, when you're in the okay corral and it's just you and that other fella down there, you wanna pull your gun out first. That's what you wanna do. Yeah. You gotta strike. You have to strike. And that's what disappointed me the most about last week. They had an opportunity to steal it right there. And they didn't do it. And I, and I thought that, that just just opportunity missed. And you could put that one on the coaching staff as much as you could put it on anybody on that team, I thought, just because I thought the defense played well enough to win. I mean, we saw the emergence potentially of a playmaker in Jack Jones on defense, uh, you know, which is another reason why they went out and got Jamie Collins this week because the linebacking core is just like, oh, my God. we got to find somebody that can make a play. That team can't get off the field on third down again. I read this week where they're 28th in the NFL in allowing third down conversions. And I'm like, what the hell are we doing here? you got to get off the field. And I'm sure that's one of the reasons why they went and got Collins. But then I would ask, why the hell did you let him go the last three times? I mean, what are we doing here? Well, I think on third down, to I, I always look at the third down stats with a, a little bit of a side eye because to me what's more important is what happens on first and second down because those third downs can be skewed. Like if it's third and one and teams are, are – are converting a third and one at a high clip. Well, third and one across the league is a 90% conversion rate. So the question really to me is, is how far do you have to go on third down to get it? Because the Patriots notoriously have been a very good third and let's say plus six defense, right? Because that's when Bill can really start to come at you, right? Schematically spin the dial. So come they're not at doing it. The then they're not doing a good enough job on first and second down. Correct. And that's really been something that's been going on as well. Just to continue this theme for a couple of years now, uh, get, dating back to the 2020 season there, I think they were the worst first and second down early down defense in the league. It's been a little bit better the last couple of seasons, but mainly I think the biggest issue is, is that teams are living in third and three and those are going to be high conversion rates. So that's why they're near the bottom of the league. So I, I would like to see them, be better on first and second down before we start to worry about individually about third down. That's fair. But on third down, I will say that, you know, they, they're they a very man-heavy team typically on third down. They play man-to-man. They spin that dial in the back end with the safeties. They come after you with pressure on third down or stunting the line or whatever, and that's when they dial up what you call their exotics, right? They're, they're kind of scheme-duck plays. But 
what's happening right now and i i hate to i hate singling out one player but i got it because that's really what's what's happening is that miles Bryant is getting picked on on third down big time right he's waldo right now that's yeah. you know when you go up against brady <laughs> that was the same thing where's waldo brady brady used to call it the same thing i think i, I got that from him where it, he would look at the film and he would watch film of the opponent and he would find the corner find waldo that has no business being on the field and i'm yeah. saying miles Bryant has no business being on the field but he would find the corner that he could expose and he would just go at that dude nonstop. and on third down especially in the second half it was a lot of randall cobb right and miles bryant was in the slot on randall cobb who's a guy that uh, is kind of like julian edelman for aaron Rodgers, right somebody that he really trusts and goes away his back with and there was a couple third down conversions in the second half and the one big one on that over route to randall cobb or it's actually like a a post crosser type thing and that one was a big one uh that uh you know in man coverage, and I, you know, Miles Bryant's just kind of picked on a lot for this Patriots defense. And I think the biggest thing that comes out of the Jack Jones situation is okay, I don't think Jack Jones is going to play 100% of the snaps or whatever it was every single week, but maybe they get to a point where he comes on the field on third down and Miles Bryant comes off the field on third down, especially yeah, can if we, play can, we can we at least recognize that potentially? I, I mean, that, so. that's the issue. I mean, if Miles is getting picked on, which we know he is, and he's not, I mean, look, I know the players love him. I know the players say that Miles Bryant's got a little dog in him, which is great. Yeah. I, I think it's great. But, you know, when the dog is matched up against someone who's six foot three or six foot four, a wide receiver, and the dog is a chihuahua, I, who's going to win? Well, I think what you're seeing with him, too, is just first and second down he's very de- dependable very disciplined player and when they play a lot of their zone coverages on early downs which is what everybody's in the in the league is doing now to limit the play action stuff yeah. he can play different spots and he can be versatile and, and move around and he's a very good zone coverage defender and at uh, washington that was what they ran right they ran a ton of zone and he's very good at that so i think there's a role for him with the iq with the dependableness in zone on first and second down but if they're gonna be like they always have been on man uh, on third down we're going to man up against you and we're going to make your receivers beat us one-on-one across the board then at this point we've seen enough out of jack jones and man coverage you put jack jones on the outside you bump jonathan jones back into the slot yeah, jalen mills on the other boundary it makes and too much go. sense yeah. it makes too much sense but i think that's the way this defense is going and, uh, and john jones needs to play where john jones can be more effective at least on yeah i mean like in I just think because Jack Jones isn't going to play in the slot, he's a boundary corner, so it's obvious to move Jonathan Jones back inside. It does. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that I'm that's how you got to. I, I I'm hope with you. that's where how they treat it because Jack clearly proved that he can hang. True, and you got to have him out there, but. If you also only have him out there on second and third down when you want to play man, now he's not exposed as often as he was in that game because he did have some ups and downs when you go back and watch the film. He wasn't always burned, uh, but he did have some ups and downs as the course of the game progressed. But if he's only playing 35 snaps or 30 snaps or even less instead of 70, then he's not going to have as many burns, I would think. All right, let's make sure everybody knows the phone lines are open. 855-PATS-500, 855-PATS. S 500 toll free web radio at patriots.com the email address you want to hit up on twitter at jr broadcaster is the twitter handle or you can post on my facebook page at john.rook uh we started with defense I, we got to flip it over to the obvious stuff on offense this week and the question really that i kind of have this week and, and i'd love for you know fans to chime in with and get your thoughts on i mean look all things being equal i thought bailey zappy did okay 
um, you know, you knew what you were going to get, and you weren't going to get a, 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 you know, a Picasso, so to speak, when it was out there. You're getting a, you know, decent performance for a kid who has, you know, been highly coached up. It was a fourth round draft pick, maybe even a borderline, you know, NFL player to begin with. But you're looking potentially, right now, so we thought for Mac Jones' backup. Somebody right. that can end up backing him up for a few years, and you can have stability. You can learn the offense, and and who knows what would happen, right? But my question now is, depending upon how long Max stays out, and by the way, I know he was back at practice this week, back in the last couple of days, still moving slowly, still looking like he's got a little bit of a limp out there, right? Yes. So I mean, it stands to reason that Bailey Zappi's got to start this game on Sunday. Stands to reason. Now I'm. We're not. 100% with that one because who the hell knows these days, especially with the way now Mac is playing sleight of hand, kind of like Bill does from with the, the roster and the decisions and everything that gets made from, from week to week. By the way, I would tell you that Mac Jones has been an excellent, excellent study of, of Belichickisms. <laughs> yeah, he, he does give us day by a day. lot, we're a day lot by of day. those. Yeah. yeah, we're day by day. So, yeah. uh, but that being said, let's just suppose, we're going to play a little, you know, uh, you know, what would you do here, Okay. W-W-Y-D. What would you do, right? Okay. Max going to miss four to six. Let's say he max out six weeks. Or better yet, let's just, you know, let's, let's take it a step further. He misses all the way to the week off, to the bye week, which at first we weren't sure what it was going to be. It certainly seemed it's plausible. Not be that, but right. We understand that. Probably yeah. not now, but we thought that. So what would it take out of Bailey Zappi? This week and maybe next or the next week after that, if you play two or three, what it would take? What would it take for you to see out of Bailey Zappi to be able to say, mm, "Mac, step to the side." I I probably couldn't see anything out of Bailey Zappi that would make me say that. It would take some sort of what if this team? Run. What if this team wins the next like two three games in a row? No. No. Still gonna still gonna move Mac no. back in there. Absolutely. What I'm looking for is is that you know, hey, we remember what happened back in 2001 with Drew Bledsoe this, and Tom yeah, Brady coming I, in and Bledsoe getting taken out by Mo Lewis, and I hear the rest you. is history. I, I think what we saw on Sunday, there would have to be significant, significant improvement from Bailey Zappi in a short period of time for me to. Even what if we get it? How, what are we? I don't even know. Like I don't even know how. Well, we that's can why see I'm that. asking the question. What would it take? What would he need to do? Would he need to throw for three bills? Would he need to go for three touchdowns? No yeah, interceptions. Yeah, I mean, he would have to look like a totally different player. Okay. I mean, I think what we saw on Sunday was a guy that really made the layups on play action passes that they presented to him, and had a lot, a lot of panic in the pocket and a number of situations well i don't know about you but i'm kind of willing to give him that one because quite frankly it was his first time to face that kind of a pocket i mean he you know i mean with all due respect he played at western kentucky last year yeah i mean that was a big problem when they drafted him just looking at his draft profiles and stuff like that you know at western kentucky he's only under pressure on 12 percent of his dropbacks right he's right. got these wide nobody, open pockets yes nobody rushed and he's him. running an air raid system in the gun and he's just letting it fly fact of the matter is though is that he led football bowl subdivision in passing yards and in touchdowns. So he clearly has some accuracy and some ability, which is why I'm sure they ultimately drafted him. Yeah, I mean, in Conference USA. Yeah, It's not exactly I, I like he's playing in the I, SEC. You're right. Hey, before <laughs> that, it was Houston Baptist, for goodness sake. Yeah. I understand that. So, yeah, look, no, I, I, I get where he's coming from. Yeah, I, I think what we're talking about here with Zappi is what you, you said a few minutes ago, which is you're hoping that you have Mac Jones' long-term backup. Like, you're hoping that you have Mac Jones's, uh, you know, Brian Hoyer to your Tom Brady or, you 
you know, a, a guy like Chase Daniel or some one of these guys that's been a backup in the league for 10 years. That was sort of the projection for him coming into the draft as well. As, you know, mid-round guy that probably has a pretty low ceiling, but his floor is good enough where you'll feel good about him as your backup for a long period of time, which is definitely some value in that for sure, as we're seeing right now mm-hmm. uh, with the Patriots. But I think the biggest things that you saw with Zappi, and I, I think a lot of people that have been pro Zappi this week from that game on Sunday are just kind of looking at the raw box score and saying, well, he didn't, he only had, you know, he had one turnover, but everybody blames the turnover on Isaiah Wynn, right? He win got beat. So we're blaming Wynn, even though whatever, I won't get into it, but he had no interceptions, right? And, and he's not, didn't throw the game away and it, it didn't completely implode when Zappi came in the game. Let's not mentioned that they didn't move the ball till the second half and they had two scoring drives in the second half all on the ground but that's not the point right the point is is that it didn't completely erupt when Bailey Zappi came into the game but that's exactly what your backup quarterback you're hoping out of your backup quarterback he keeps things under control Bailey Zappi is not coming in the game and winning you the football game Right. And I think Mac Jones, even though he struggled at times in the first three weeks of the season, you still see that potential there with Mac that he could win you some football games. I, I just don't see that even going back but to the But we haven't camp really seen enough of Bailey Zappi, and I'll just play devil's advocate here. Yeah. We haven't seen enough of him to really be able to understand that, haven't we? I mean, we, we need I to mean, see him under pressure. We need to see him schemed with the first team. We need to see him, you know, with the threat of Tyquan Thornton, who I, I just is supposed to come back. You know, I, so. I'm just not sure what is. What does Bailey Zappi do on a football field better than Mac Jones? Because they're very similar in terms of their their overall skill sets. If you just want to like check off boxes, right? You know, accurate uh, pocket passers. You know, those are the types of guys that they are, and I think that's why they drafted Bailey to be his backup because okay. they can go from one to the next pretty seamlessly. You're, you're starting to make my point because if there's no difference really between in the skill set between what Mike Mac Jones has and Bailey Zappi has, why wouldn't you opt for the hot hand? No, because I I, I what I'm saying is not that there's no difference. What I'm saying is that like what does Bailey Zappi do better I'm trying I'm trying like I can't figure that out like is he a better decision maker well he passed up on open receivers so I'm not sure sure about that is he calmer in the pocket I didn't see that on Sunday does he have some was his first time in a pocket does he have a bigger arm I didn't see that like so what is it that that he does better on a football field than Mac Jones that makes you think that there's a chance that this is a competition. Not much right now. I totally understand that and, and would agree with that. Yeah. All I'm saying is is that, you know, if this is a game of momentum and we know it is, and if this guy gets into a momentum, you know, type of, uh, you know, routine here and this team rips off three or four and now Mac is ready to come back, if you're, you know, Bill Belichick, you know, you've got a history of going with the hot hand does lightning strike twice? I think that you're better off hoping that because if they win three or four games with Bailey Zappi under center, it's going to be because of all the other parts that are going on around Bailey Zappi. And I think that you're going to hope that dropping Mac back into that. Wasn't that also gonna, the case that with Brady over Bledsoe back in 01? I, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I just like that was such a that scenario like happens once in a lifetime like i don't know i i don't like going back and comparing like everything to brady because it's just like that we're never gonna see that again right so well we don't know we do know come on we're not gonna see anybody come in and be tom brady and win a super bowl in 01 and then win six more like that's not gonna happen again we nobody knows evan I mean, I realize that sounds sounds nobody, ridiculous. What do you mean nobody knows? Sounds ridiculous. But, I mean, we've seen it once happen, okay? Uh, nobody seems to think that it'll ever happen again in the history of the NFL, but I would tell you that it 
it's quite likely it could happen again somewhere long after you and I are pushing It won't be Bailey daisies. Well, it may not be. I'm, t- I'm just asking the question based on history, and that's all we have to go on. I'm telling you, and, I and I'm not even sure. I think it'd Look, be a lot. making <laughs> this be a lot. sure, but understand that making this argument, I'm not sure I would make that call. I'm not sure I would still go with Bailey Zappi. I'm just asking the question. I think the best case scenario for the Patriots is that the rest of the team, the other 52 players on the team, absent to the quarterback continue to get better to the point that when Mac Jones is healthy and can play, that the rest of the machine is going like a fine-tuned machine and then you just drop the better quarterback back into the situation and you hit the ground running when Mac comes back well, that's the optimum situation I, I just can't but if all things are equal in terms of the talent base and, and what they bring to the table by the two quarterbacks and he's got the hot hand and the talent base around him improves why would you move back because I don't think were. all things are equal like I think stylistically they're similar players and I would I don't tell you that you don't know that I would just that that would be my argument that you don't know. How do you not know, know that? that? I've watched him play. How often do you watch him play? I watched him play all training camp, all preseason. I watched him play at Western Kentucky. And what? And what? Well, I watched him play at Western Kentucky too, a lot in Conference USA. Believe it or not, yeah, I, I, I believe you. And, I, and in all honesty, I was extraordinarily impressed by that guy when he was in college. Now, again, I considered the competition. And I knew that Conference USA is not exactly, uh, you know, the SEC light. Uh, but at the same time, you still have to make connections. You still have to have guys catch the ball. They had a lot of talent on the team for that level of play. So I remember, remember thinking at the time, I said, shoot, that guy's going to make a good backup quarterback in the NFL somewhere. I didn't have any idea the Patriots going to draft him. That's crazy to even think about that. But they did. And so now that you have him, why don't you try to put him in a position to potentially utilize some of that ability that you saw in him when you watched him on film and when you saw him in college. And if his intangibles are at least at or, or, or maybe even exceed the level of what your injured quarterback has, again, kind of like Brady Bledsoe back in 01, and we all lived through that one, or at least most of us lived through that one, I would tell you, look, ride the hot hand for a little while, and I don't think you can really go wrong with that. And maybe you will, you know, especially especially if Mac isn't 100% and he's just chopping at the bit to get back out there, which is an argument that you could make for him not going back out there this week because he can't possibly be 100%. I just don't think you're in that conversation yet, uh, not based off of what we saw from Zach right, against the Bears. Then I'll tell you what, we'll revisit this in two or three weeks. And uh, Yeah, I mean, it would have to be, like I keep saying, it would have to be a remarkable turnaround like we'd have to see a totally different player if this team wins three games but and, but and the wins throws, are the the winning is is no that's is that, no 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 no, no no that's what it's all about well, you got to win but it's it he can still he can throw for 500 yards and the patriots lose and you still don't want him back but what does it matter if they win and the quarterback throws for 90 yards like that's i'm not putting that on the quarterback they didn't win the game because of him you put the game in the in the hands of the person who can manage you to a win. If they throw the ball ten times and he throws for ninety yards, Mac Jones won a game like that last year. Yeah, we saw that, I, and I didn't praise him for it. Like I'm just saying, like if if the, why wouldn't you praise him for it? I they won the game. Move on. Be, Next, because I, he threw the ball three times. Like it, it, this this quarterback wins does not have to be a stat that's about the quarterback. Like it, it, I think that that's like kind of just ridiculous that we do that. Like you assign <laughs> wins to quarterbacks like like they control every single thing. They're not even on the field for well, half they the game. Do, I understand that, but they do. And and I think you know everything runs through the quarterback. So offensively, sure. Sure. And so the coaches have to start with a game plan and the game plan calls for, you know, only 10 passes and they manage to win the game. At least he carried forward the game plan. But you're still 
you know, got somebody who's used to winning, and you still have somebody who's comfortable in that role, and you're rolling, and you, I'm sure, Evan, at some point in time in your life, you strapped on a jock strap, right? Once upon a time. And you've played. Okay. And so when you're playing out there, and you got things rolling in a positive way, don't you not want to change things up? Nobody wants to change things up. Nobody wants to. If jinx, I have a nobody wants to jinx anything. If you I have keep a, it going. That's the way it is, and you cannot you're, you're deny just that. Trying to get me riled up. I think. No, 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 no. Because I'm, this, I'm this seriously making an argument is is silly. That's <laughs> it's all. not silly. It's it's, silly. it's absolutely it's nonsense. No, it's not. It it's because you won't you won't realize the truth. The truth is is that players like to go with the hot hand. Coaches recognize that. Bill Belichick did that in but 01. But the hot hand is relevant. Of it. Like it is 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 relative. The hot like hand the hot is hand everything. Is, if your hot hand is is throwing five passes a game, and, and you're you're saying, "Oh, go with the hot but hand." But you know I mean, as well as I about? do, you know as well as I do that they're not going to throw five passes in a game. That's not going to happen. I mean, they did last year through three. Okay, but that wasn't in the middle of a of a run where the quarterback was trying to establish himself. They're just trying to get wins, and I would tell you that's exactly what this team is also trying to do. They're just trying to get wins any way they can. If they win games, that in this stretch with Bailey Zappi and the guy that we saw on Sunday, then they're probably winning games carrying Bailey Zappi, right? Like that that's they're carrying Bailey Zappi to so victories. Then, then the team is developing along with Bailey right. Zappi. So then, so then why do you want to reinsert somebody because he's who's better. not a part because he's better. Do we know that for sure? Yes. A hundred percent. You yes. know that better for sure. Yes. If I would argue, no, you don't. How Max, do you not know Max that? only in his second year. That's why. Ba- but Bailey, if you put the tape, and I'm not Zappi trying, I'm not trying to, to Mac. Ba- it's not close. I'm not trying to bash Mac. Okay, I'm not doing that. I just want. I would like to see this team stand up and make the right call for the benefit of the team, getting wins, because that's all anybody should care about. That's not true, though. That's not true, because ultimately. They got wins last year. They won 10 games. They made the playoffs. And what happened? They went to Buffalo, and they lost by 40 points to the Bills. So would they have been better off by not making the playoffs last year? No. no that's, but what's, they, that's what's silly. No, but what I'm saying is is that everything has a ceiling, right? And no, you have to judge. I don't agree with that. How do you not agree with that? Everything You have to judge on what is going. This is why the offense through the first three weeks of the season has opened up the deep passing game a little bit more because they looked at the team last year and they said, we are not going to win in the postseason with such a conservative offense and we need to be more aggressive with the football. And that's why they shifted to more of a deep passing offense and they got more explosive plays out of it. And that, that I was will the agree. goal. That I will okay? agree. But so what if Bailey Zappi can lead you there? Bailey Zappi can't lead you there. You don't know that. I do. He hasn't played enough. No, you I don't. Do know you that. don't know that. You haven't seen him play enough. Oh, he hasn't. There's not enough. There's not enough evidence. The, now, I we have, may get that evidence over the next two to three weeks if he's in there. And this is all a moot point anyway if Mac plays this weekend. I which hope I still he does don't think because he this this conversation, and I, I hope that Mac does what's best for him and the best for the injury. This conversation is going to get heated this co- if he doesn't play this weekend. This and it conversation is Bailey Zappi. And Bailey Zappi throws for 250 yards it's not just and you. three touchdowns, and they beat the Lions if 27-24. He, if he does that and he throws for 250 yards and three touchdowns and he looks like a different guy than what he did against the Packers, then I'm saying that I would open my mind up to the possibility that so maybe So you're he's also bad. then judging him on what he did against the Packers. Of course. What else do I have to judge him off of? Exactly my point! <laughs> That's my point! But, but, you don't know enough! You haven't seen enough! Saying, you don't know. I don't know what's in the mystery box. It could be a boat, or I could just get the boat, right? Like, I, it just, <laughs> you're saying like that, uh, of course that nobody knows. Like, you can't just say, like, hypothetically Bailey Zappi could be Tom Brady. We don't know! I don't wait, know! Wait, 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 look, 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 look. He's got a vein coming out on his forehead. 
<laughs> you're all this right, Ed. In the boat, I love it. You're all right. It's you're, like, you're all right. I love it. Oh look, look at the vein on his forehead. <laughs> it could even be a boat. <laughs> really? What's behind door number three? It's a brand new car. Okay, I like that. All right, you're fun for playing along. I appreciate that. That's good. I know. I just aggravated the hell out of him. <laughs> uh, it's been all week. It's not just been you, John. It's been all week that I keep, I keep hearing this, this zappy kid. He's got something. Like I'm right? not saying that he doesn't I have know. something. I know. I've heard that on local radio here as well but, all week. But so I figured what did he that's do? That's why I would ask the question today. What did he do on Sunday that makes you he feel like he's got something? He didn't do a damn thing. But right. if he does do a damn thing, he deserves to have a chance to carry it forward. That's and, all I'm saying. If he does, I mean, like we could say that we could play that game with every single player on the roster. Yes, you can. You absolutely like, can. That's okay. exactly right. In fact, I would argue they should because that way you got the best player in the best spot at the right time. For instance, Isaiah Wynn. What the bleep, dude? What the hell? Is he out there with some kind of a, a, a decree to get his quarterback decapitated? What's going on? Uh, look, I, I don't know what's going on with Isaiah Wynn. I think there's, you know, the the best guess that I, I can give him to give him, I hate to word the, word, use the word excuse, but I can't think of a better word right now after you got me all riled up. Uh, the only excuse I can think of for him is that he's flipping sides, right? And yes, and yes. there's going to be a learning curve right. when you go from left to right and all that kind of stuff, and I'm willing to give him that benefit of the doubt. But I think what you're, you're noticing with him is – not so much like technique breakdowns and like consist like you know blocking stuff right? right it's it's more about being locked in mentally right because you're seeing a lot of penalties you're seeing a lot of uh, things where he's maybe a little bit confused on what the call is right, and, right, right. and a little bit tentative out there but like when he's actually locked in and he's just doing his role and doing his job as they say around here his technique his his feet like it's good. Like he's uh, he can play football. Like there's no question about that. Clearly he can. He wouldn't have been a first round draft. Player. Right. But the problem is, is that you get holding and then you get fall. I mean, he had yeah. a run in the first half. There were three straight plays in the first quarter that defied almost description. Yeah. I mean, he had a run in that game against the Packers, and I I hate to pick on guys, but he had a run in that game against the Packers that was one of the worst stretches of offensive line play I've seen in a while. Like, get Brian Hoyer knocked out of the game. Correct. Hold, false start, blown up run, get Bailey Zappi strip sacked. Like, I mean, it was just a a whole mess. Dude, if your head is somewhere else, then you don't need to be out there. You need to, like, tell somebody. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the reason why Marcus Cannon is on the 53 now. Oh, yeah. I mean, Marcus Cannon's breathing down his neck. That That's for sure. All right. 855-PATS-500. Let's start with Darvey in Kansas here. Darvey, you're in the playbook. How are you? Hey, hey, fellas. How you doing? First Good. time caller, guys. How you doing? Thank you very much for taking the time. What's on your mind today, brother? And you know what? Uh, both of you fellows have great, great ideas going back and forth, and I love the fire. Like I said, props to Eric, uh, props to Eric Salavino, you know, where he's at. But, man, <laughs> heaven love as those are, I've been listening to you for a while, man, so you guys got some good stuff. John Rook, I love you too. But anyway, Thank you. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, what happened to the play calling when we got the ball back in OT in that Packers game? I know I should be going this week against the Lions, but what was the play calling there for? Did they not have faith in Zappi throwing that ball, or did they feel like they were going to go ahead and get that first down? What was, what's going on with that? And I'll leave you all on the air. Thanks, Thank bud. You guys. Yeah, appreciate Bye, you. Guys. All right. Bye. What do you think? Play calling. 
honestly, you know, first down they run it, I think, for four or five yards, and then they try to go to the air after that pretty much, right? And third down they, they put the ball in the air and he missed an open Hunter Henry standing six yards in front of him and didn't make the throw. So I don't know. I mean <laughs> – I, I get why people are nitpicking the play calling, and certainly we just talked about the fourth down decision for the, at the top of the show, and I, I'm with you on that one as well. But at the same time, you know, at the end of the day, you call a play, and they got Hunter Henry in a stack to to Bailey Zappi's left. They get him off the line. He gets open on the slant. Mm-hmm. He's standing right there. The pocket is NFL clean, like we were talking about. There's a difference between a Western Kentucky pocket and a Patriots Packers pocket. <laughs> And the Patriots Packers pocket caused him to panic. I mean, he panics. He does a spin move in the pocket, then he runs out and he throws the ball late to Hunter Henry, who had a step oh, on his no, guy. Green Bay Packers, so uh, UTSA Roadrunner, right? I mean, it's a big difference. Yeah, yeah. If he <laughs> hits the back foot, gets the ball out, we're probably talking about a Patriots win in that game. And these are the little things that I think that people don't necessarily see when they're watching the game on their couch on Sunday, and they don't necessarily see the all-22 view of it. And that's our job, right, to go back and watch it. And this is why I, I do that, is to tell people he's got an open receiver on this play that he missed. He's got an open receiver on that play that he missed. And I'm not talking about, like, oh, it was on the other side of the field. or No, the first read was Hunter Henry in the middle of the field, and he's open, and he doesn't get the football. That's on the quarterback, not on the play caller. Right, the, the, no, they called the correct. play. Hunter Henry got open, and the ball didn't get to him. Which, in a larger picture, is why a lot of people really haven't had too much of an issue with the actual play calling thus far. You know, Matt Patricia takes a whole lot of crap. Yeah, some of it deserved, but honestly, it's still on the quarterback. Yeah, to deliver in a lot of instances, and I think that's one of the examples you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I just think that. You saw a couple of times on Sunday where he leaves clean pockets or gets a little bit of happy feet in clean pockets and doesn't throw the ball on time or tries to scramble or extend plays with his legs when he didn't really need to in that situation. And you mentioned, you know, what what I need to see in terms of actually physical, you know, football – less panic in the pocket is number one by far and being more consistent with his reads and being able to stand in a muddied pocket and and make throws is a number one by a long shot based off of what we saw on Sunday. Patty didn't want to talk to us. Oh, okay. All right. Patty, sorry. Uh, Marine hung up on you so you can call back and we'll take your call. Uh, You know, that's what I was looking at. And all of a sudden, Oh my goodness gracious. Okay. No worries about it. So here's the thing. Um, Now that, uh, we, we, we know that Zappi's going to quarter, or at least we think Zappi will end up quarterback in this week. You've got an issue at hand where this is the point in the schedule. We kind of thought one and three was likely in the first four weeks. Okay? So they didn't disappoint us in that regard. A lot yeah. of us picked that. I, I thought maybe two and two, but my swing was actually the Baltimore game because it was at home. We know how that went. So. You're one and three. Now you got to make hay if you really think that you're going to try to be a factor sometime like by mid-November in another six weeks or so. So it's got to start this week, right? Is yeah. this is this must win? I don't know if it's must win, but this stretch between now and Thanksgiving, when they play Minnesota on right. Thanksgiving night, yeah. they play Buffalo the next week. That's oh. when the schedule picks back up again. No question. So the next, I think it's six or seven games, it's very, very similar to the stretch we saw last year in the middle of the season when they won seven straight, right? right? It's the right. same exact setup. Yep. We're talking about a combined record of 10-13-1 for their opponents with no team over five hundred that they play in the next, I think it's six games. So, Or maybe it's seven. If they get out of this stretch 
they ha- I don't know if this week is a must win, but they need to go at the bare minimum five and two in the next seven, right? I mean, you would love to be six and one or seven and zero oh again, but with the quarterback situation, I'm not sure if you're going to get there. But if you're going to give yourselves a chance, like they did last year at the back end of that schedule, where you play Buffalo twice, Miami, Cincinnati, uh, there's some tough games in that last five or six games if you're going to give yourself a chance at that back end of the schedule then you have to be five and two i would say and the next seven right which would then put you in at five and two they'll put you at six and five yeah so you're you just there. above five and then you'd be you'd be right at you know where you need to be in terms of the you know you're treading, giving yourself treading a water chance. giving sure. yourself a chance yes all right it's got to start this week with the detroit lions eric woodyard covers the lions for espn and espn.com he's been kind enough to join us here in the playbook we'll get back to the phones in just a couple of moments eric it's john and evan here in foxborough how are you John and Evan, what's up, man? How y'all doing? I'm here in Detroit. Yeah, excellent. So let's talk about these Lions because, quite frankly, when you get a chance to actually see a team once every eight years with the way the rotation goes, it's just not enough to know on a given basis. I think one thing that we do know is, is that I really enjoyed the heck, believe it or not, for the first time in a long time uh, out of uh, Hard Knocks this summer on HBO because they featured the Lions. What, what, did, what did that franchise, what did this particular team gain out of having that kind of notoriety this summer? And, and is it anything carryoverable, if I can make up that phrase, is it anything carryoverable to this season thus far? I mean, definitely, you know, just like you guys out there, you said you guys are more exposed to what's going on here in Michigan, what's going on here with the Lions. Um, it's been, you know, a black eye on Detroit for so long. So I think Hard Knocks really exposed the Lions to a new fan base to see what the agony that these fans have been going through, but also just the diehard fandom that, you know, people still have here. And I think, you know, you look at Dan Campbell, the top, colorful character. You know, guys really are gravitating to him, and he's bringing another swagger here to the D from the coaching aspect that I don't think, you know, has probably been since Wayne Fonts or somebody like that, you mm. know. So, yeah, I think they gained a lot from that. I think they gained a, fa- uh, a bigger, not, I ain't going to say a fan base, but just people being more, you know, interested and intrigued with the Detroit Lions because they've been at the bottom of the league, you know, for the last few years. So, um, that was what I think. And as far as what can carry over, I'm not, I'm not sure what really carry over outside of, like, anything on the field. But just like, I think just like for you guys, I think people are more exposed to these people. They know who Amara mm-hmm. St. Brown is, mm-hmm. you know, DeAndre Swift. You know, and not just associate the Lions with just Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson and then with Tyron Early. So I think it was good for the fan base from that aspect. And I mean, we saw week one, man, it was a sold out crowd. So it's been pretty good uh, tennis in the games. And I think that's the type of things that carry sure. over, not necessarily on the field. Sure. Can I tell you, though, that uh, through watching over the summer, I, I developed a, a particular affinity for one player in particular. He was sort of a pseudo star, I think, over the summer. And now he's just been added back to the team, I think, in the last week. Tom Kennedy who actually played his college football at Bryant, which is obviously not too far away from here in Smithfield, Rhode Island, where the Patriots actually used to train years ago. Tell us what Tom Kennedy's story is. And, number one, since he had such a great summer, why didn't he make the roster at the very beginning of the year? I mean, you look at this offense, man. They lead the league. It's the number one offense in the league, even though they're one and three. So, And, and the wide receiver position is arguably one of the deepest on the roster, so that's mm-hmm. why he didn't make the team. Gotcha. He's actually been activated, you know, this week. You know, um, we're not sure what Amara St. Brown, if he's going to play or not. I'm, 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 I'm guessing he'll probably make. They'll probably make a decision in the next day or so. But uh, I talked. To, I did talk to Amara yesterday. He said he was running in a straight line, but he said it was still, like, you know, going through the process. Back to Tom Kennedy. Yeah, he had a had a heck of a uh, preseason. We saw what he did there, but I think just that particular position was so deep 
But uh, due to all the injuries that they've actually activated him, uh, so he'll be on the active roster this week. You know, coming to New England, and uh, I talked to him yesterday. He said he knew last week, based off the injuries, that he's probably going to get activated. He don't really feel any more pressure. You know, as far as trying to do anything or do too much, because the coaching staff has kind of got these guys locked in. That who's ever playing, just plug them right in. And they feel like Jared Goff and all these offensive weapons can just keep it going like a well-oiled machine. So uh, we'll see. We we'll see if he plays or anything. But I think that's why he didn't make it, just because how deep the wide, uh, wide receiver position was. Sure. Eric, I want to bring you over to the defensive side of the ball. I've read up and just watched some things that Aaron Glenn, your defensive coordinator, has been taking some some flack uh, about some of the, the pressure he brought against Geno Smith and things like that. What's your read on where this defense is, and do you expect uh, all of the blitzing that Belichick actually pointed out today, uh, Wednesday excuse me, here at Gillette uh, with this Lions team? Do you expect that to continue after they got burned by it a little bit last week? I think, you know, uh, they're, they're definitely going to make some changes. You know, I'm not sure how, how deeply they will go into making the changes, but I think the interior of the defense has been their strong suit. I think it's really on the outside, you know, starting the secondary. That's where they really struggle. So I think they're going to try to make some type of adjustments there because, I mean, they can kill with that. You know, the deep balls and, you know, teams are really getting off. I mean, they're they're, they're, they're um, bottom-ranked team on defense. It's crazy. They're the only team since the end. This is, this, is, this is a fun fact. Since the 70 merger, uh, they're the only team to lead the NFL in scoring on offense and rank last in defense through four weeks. So that just tells you like how wow. to sync both sides are. So they definitely got to make some type of changes. Uh, but I'm not sure how deeply they will go into that. But it's definitely going to be something that's secondary. As I think you know, I think they'll continue to do what they're doing up front and try to trying to get Aiden Hutchinson off in some type of way as well. That's a bona fide gold nugget. That's what we would call that. That's a good job, Eric. I like that one. So, so <laughs> let, let me ask about Aiden Hutchinson because as a as a rookie draft pick, you know he's got the pedigree. His dad was a good player. You know he obviously played at a Big Ten school. I mean, you know, is too much expected of him? And are teams keying on him to keep him from being as effective maybe as he'd like to be? And how is he handling that frustration? Yeah, definitely. Teams are keen on it. We saw, you know, week two where he went off and set all type of records with the three-sack game versus Washington. And I think what it is is, you know, no disrespect to this Lions defense, but they're not just fully talented. They don't have a lot of talent outside of, like, the Hutchinson and some of these newer guys they're bringing in. You know, uh, but I think teams are double-teaming him, and they don't really have nothing on the other side to really, you know, counter that. So they can double in and key on him. Uh, I don't think he's super frustrated. I think he's still confident in himself, and I think the coaching staff is still – you know, keeping him engaged and, and understanding, you know, you're going to be the next one. They really have faith in this guy. They, they really feel like he can get off. But I think just right now, man, they're banged up a lot too. You know, they just lost their safety, mm. Tracy Walker. And I, I mean, I know that's a total different spot on defense, but right. just they've lost some guys on defense. And I think those injuries are, you know, you know, hurting this team as well as just, let's be frank, it's not a lot of talent. You know, a lot of not a lot of game changers on that defensive right. side of the ball. And I think, you know, they can't keep, you know, Hutch. So I think, you know, they they, they got to make some changes, and they know that. Everybody, I mean, you can't be ranked last in the, in the league in defense and not know that. So, I mean, we'll see, you know, what, what, what type of change they'll make. What does that defense, in your estimation, do well, if anything? I think they do uh, – ah, oh, man, it's, it's tough to say what they do. <laughs> <laughs> not a lot of things right now, man, if we're being real. I think they, they, they are pretty – I guess they're decent in pass rushing somewhat, but, I mean, they haven't been really able to stop the run. They haven't really been able to stop the pass. So it's not a lot of great things. Jeff Okuda's been pretty solid. He came back off a season-ending uh, Achilles injury last week. He, last week he didn't play particularly well. 
you know, uh, in the last game they had versus Seattle, but he did do well on Justin Jefferson, you know, holding him to, you know, obviously a career low. I mean, not a career low, season low, you know, when they were in Minnesota a couple weeks ago. So he's been playing pretty well, especially coming off that injury, but it's not a lot that they do well, honestly, man. If I'm being real, they, they rank bottom at the bottom for a reason. Yeah, Eric, just going back to offense, uh, this week and I think last week too, a lot of national guys have been writing about the Lions offense and how, how the heck is the Jared Goff-led Lions the number one scoring offense in the league? And uh, the running game seems to be the answer. And I know just on top of getting your thoughts on the running game that DeAndre Swift has been in and out of the lineup. So do you expect him to play? I know Jamal Williams had a huge game without him, so I, I don't know if it necessarily matters, but this running game has got everybody talking, it seems, league-wide about what the Lions are doing. Oh, yeah, man. They're, they're, they're definitely in a whole other mentality. For so many years since Barry retired, it's been, you know, talk about, man, the Lions' run game hasn't been nothing. They've been so pass-heavy. Obviously, when Stafford was here, Megatron, Calvin Johnson, those guys, but I think, uh, number one, Deuce Staley, you got to give him some credit. You know, he's the running backs coach, former NFL player. You know, he's given that mentality. He set the standard from day one. Number and then off. No, let me start. Number one is the offensive line. They have a very strong offensive line. Obviously, Panay Sewell is a, is, is a beast. You know, he was a number seven pick just a couple years ago. So the offensive line is strong. And then um, Jamal Williams, man, he's been getting up. DeAndre Swift, he's only played a couple games. He's likely to be out this week again uh, dealing with ankle injuries and a shoulder injury. But I think, you know, that line coupled with, you know, Jamal Williams as well, he's, he's just in a, in a groove right now, man. He leads the NFL in, in total rushing touchdowns. He has six, same franchise record, six rushing touchdowns through four games. So, I mean, you know, he's playing well. You know, even when they plug in some of the other guys, you know, they're playing well behind that line. So I think it's a mix of all that. It's not just – but it's not just the run game. Actually, Jared Goff has looked much better. He's way more comfortable than last year. They've, they've given him some pieces. You know, and uh, I think uh, he's making the best out of it. And they got a new coordinator with Ben Johnson who's really, really creative. You know, he's bringing some very creative ideas, and you're kind of seeing him, his fruition and some of the things coming to life. And they're just – they're rolling, man. They're, they really are offense. You know, you talked about the receivers as well, Eric, and, and clearly – there's one guy that, you know, people kind of go, who is this guy again? When you talk about, uh, you know, St. Brown out there, I think on one side, and I know he, what, maybe, did he have, uh, he had some issues with his ankle. Am I right about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he sprung his ankle okay. in Minnesota, so he set out the last game. Right, okay. Yeah, man, man. Uh, is he's electrifying he, right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, the guy has, I think he's a dynamic player. So it looks like he's one of those guys that you try to get the ball out to, and hopefully he can make some yak, he can do something with it, you know, afterward. Where else has the, who's been the, and maybe he's been one of them, but who else has been the real surprise that's helped elevate this offense to the level where it is at, you know, 35 points a game right now? So, I mean, we talked about DeAndre Swift. We talked about Jamal Williams. I'm a Ross St. Brown, of course. Then you got T.J. Hawkinson, a tight end. A lot of people don't realize a couple years ago he was just a pro bowler. Yeah. He went off last game. He can, he, he's capable of being dynamic. You got D.J. Chark as well. You know, he was, he's been a pro bowler, obviously coming off an injury. Uh, you got, uh, you know, those guys really are kind of the core of what they're doing on offense. And I think just a better Jared Goff and a really, really good offensive line. Plus, the coordinator that they have is bringing these great ideas. If you go back to last year, when they went three and three to finish the season, um, that's when they switched over to the offensive coordinator. And I think, you know, Ben Johnson has these guys locked in right now. Okay, so they're locked in, and you know they, they may or may not be completely healthy on either side of the ball, but they're locked in. They're coming this way. Um, how has Dan Campbell's development as a head coach helped this team, or maybe even hurt this team a little bit in your estimation? 
I think it's a uh, man. It's a double edged sword because he's yeah. made some mistakes and he's taking you know taking uh taking the blame for those like the one you know obviously in Minnesota when he you know decided to go for the for the field goal mm-hmm. instead of actually going for it on fourth down that mm-hmm. kind of cost him that game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think the players still respect him. He hasn't lost the locker room. You know, guys really want to go super hard for him. So if you look at a lot of these Lions games, they're one score losses, but they're still playing hard. I think it's just they don't really have the full talent. We all knew this was going to be a development process. Right. They're not going to be a playoff team this year. You know, it's, it's still a lot of holes to be filled talent-wise. But I think he's been a great guy as far as a great motivator. Guys respect him. They know he's been a former player. I think uh, he hasn't lost it. So I think it's like a double-edged sword. He's still learning. But I think, you know, people you know, are being patient with him because they do understand it's only his second year as a full-time head coach. All right. So how patient are Detroit's owners with Dan Campbell? What would have to happen this year for him to either, you know, get fired or move on or stick around? What What are the expectations? I'm not sure, man. I haven't really, you know, necessarily spoke to the owner or anything. But in my humble opinion, being a guy from Michigan my whole life, I think over the years it's been so quickly to give up on guys. You know what I mean? I think they really got to ride this off at least three years. At least give them another year at least. We know the talent's not there. Nobody's expecting you to be a playoff team. Let this guy learn. Let him develop. Let the young guys develop. Don't do anything uh, crazy. Because um, nobody's expecting him to be a playoff team. I know hard knocks and everybody, everything got everybody fired up. But let's be real, man. This team is not a you know super talented team that can compete right now. They still got, uh, you know, things to, to, to work on and holds the field. And I think they should just be patient with him and give him at least one, one more year. Excellent stuff, Eric. Thank you so Thanks, much, Eric. man. We really appreciate the time. Appreciate y'all, man. Thanks for, thanks for having me. You got it. That's Eric Woodyard, uh, and you can find him on Twitter at E underscore Woodyard, W-O-O-D-Y-A-R-D, like Woodyard. All right, but it's E underscore Woodyard on Twitter if you want to follow him along for good stuff on the lines. All right, let's get Patty and Agwam here since, you know, you hung up on him earlier, Maureen. I so, apologize. To yeah, him. I know. Okay, all right. Hey, Patty, how's it going? Hey, I gave, I gave Marine Corps Maddie a big oorah. Okay. That was all right. All right, well, that's all right. Then then you got his respect, and that's why we're letting you back on the show, and it's all good. Semper Fi. <laughs> oh, I, I thought you liked me, John. I thought that's oh, why you Of course we like show. you. I just have to, you know, i, I got to box your jaws every now and then, man. So, um, this game is, um, I mean, it's, it's very, it, it's kind of very difficult to uh, put your finger on with, Mac not necessarily being healthy enough to uh, possibly play or start, which I mean, if he's not at least ninety percent, I don't want the guy to start. I don't. I don't want him anywhere near the field. I don't think you should play him unless he's a hundred percent. I know he wants to play, but if you really, if he's your guy, you know, as Evan and I were fighting earlier, if he's your guy, you don't want him back out there less than a hundred percent. Do you? Do you, Evan? Yeah, no, I agree, Evan. Do you want him back out there if he's less than a hundred? I guess it depends. On what? Can he re-injure it? How badly can exactly. it be? That's my point. What if he goes out there at 90% and you know he finds himself vulnerable and he gets sacked and he, and he tweaks it again? And you're going to set yourself back another six weeks from here? Maybe he has to have tightrope surgery now since he's avoided that thus far. Yeah, I mean, that, that's where I'm at. But if your doctors are, feel confident that you know his risk of injury is not any more than it would be just going out there normally and playing in an NFL game... I would rather Mac at ninety percent than Bailey Zappi. So that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I'm with you there, Evan. Too. Um, but yeah, I I think it's going to come down to the coaching matchup because if you look at all the guys that are 
been in practice or hurt for Detroit, and of course, you know, we have our third string quarterback more than likely going. I think I think it will end up boiling down to Dan Campbell versus Bill Belichick, and I'll, I'll take Belichick every single time in that situation. Uh, I'm going to pick the score from last week's game. Patriots win 27-24. Yeah, that's my pick. That's my pick as well. And uh, God, are you serious? Bailey really? Zappi continues. And by the way, you guys brought the fire today. I loved it. <laughs> I loved listening to you guys going back and forth. I awesome. loved watching the vein in the middle of Evan's forehead bulge. They're offering me a boat, but I could have the mystery box. It might be a boat. <laughs> I mean, that's quality. That's all I got, guys. Thank you, uh, Patty. We appreciate you as always, brother. I, I mean, you know, it's, it's why we need to stream on TV here because we uh, you it's it was a great shade of greenish purple that and was, it was red around it, and I'm like, damn, that was a week long of of that frustration coming out because yesterday on unfiltered and. Even some today and yesterday with Alex, we just get calls, we get emails, zappy, zappy, zappy. I know, zappy. and I'm glad you. I'm glad. Really grinds my gears. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but I, I'm glad you brought that up because we want to cross promote that. We, we've got a new injury uh, into our uh, you know Patriots.com radio coverage on Wednesday afternoon yes, after you're done three. with PU from two until three p.m. Eastern time. Yes, brand new show for you and Alex Barth. Right? Yes, Patriots Catch Twenty Two is the name. And like you said, right after unfiltered on Wednesday, so two to three p.m. That's outstanding. Now, what do you, you tell us? You know what the basic premise of the show is, and what do you guys do for the hour besides you know try to you know knock each other silly? Yeah, that definitely happens. I would say the best way I can describe the show is that Alex and I are true football junkies. We live and breathe this, and no stone goes unturned. Like if they sign somebody like yesterday, we we're talking about Garrett Gilbert. Like if they sign people to the practice squad, we talk about them. If they uh, sign people, uh, you know, for off the street that nobody's ever heard of, then, then we bring it and tell you who he is, but it's X's and O's it's details. Uh, obviously we get into the big picture stuff too, but uh, this is a football junkie show by two football nerds bringing you the heat on the details uh, with the Patriots. So that, that's the show. Okay. It's almost like it's a spinoff of this one. <laughs> right. Kind of. Anyway, because I've always thought of myself as a little bit of a football junkie and, yes. a, and a nerd. So I kind of cover both. You know. Yes. Yes. You're, you know, it's different than not to throw unfiltered in the bus because I love being on unfiltered. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they're, they're a little bit more talk radio-y. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's a little bit more uh, of a, and, uh, you know, stuff like that around this town. I don't think there's enough people actually dissecting, you know. And analyzing. And analyzing. We need the dissection. And and Not we that need unfiltered more. doesn't do that. I'm just saying other people outside no, this building. No, I understand. But, yeah. you know, I know uh, we kind of feel like from time to time we kind of know who our audience is. And, and this audience likes to have a little bit of the fun, but at the same time, there's a certain aspect of this audience, certain facets of this audience that definitely likes to dissect and analyze. Yeah. Yeah. So we're we're big on the X's and O's, as you could imagine, with me uh, hosting the show. So uh, we get big into that. And in the off season, we also do huge deep dives into the draft and free agency and all that stuff as well. All right. Back to the phones, 855-PATS-500. Uh, coming up in 15 minutes, Nicole Yang from the Austin Globe will join us. In 30 minutes, it's Russell Baxter, the one and only guru himself, as we take a trip around week five around the NFL. 
Want to get into the game? Get coached up at Dean College. Equipped with exclusive academic partnerships featuring the Patriots, Revolution, Providence Bruins, Summer Baseball, and more, our classrooms are set up for success by learning directly from the pros. Dean College has programs in communications, sports management, business, and marketing with unprecedented hands-on experiences. Our students take what they learn in the classroom and put it right to work in the marketplace. At Dean College, our students don't just play games, we run them. Visit us at dean.edu. Patriots fans, you'll want to check out the replay on this one. Pat the Patriot is stealing the show tonight with his Bank of America mobile banking app. That's right, folks. So here we see Pat cheering, and then whammo! Is that Bank of America life plan? Looks like he's saving up for some big future moves. Planning the next vacay, huh, big guy? And wait, now he's paying back his buddy for concessions using Zelle? No penalty there. Incredible. No way. As if that double move wasn't impressive enough, now he's beefing up his account defense with security meter? Holy cannoli, what a performance. Bank of America's digital tools are so impressive, Patriot fans just can't stop banking. Learn more at bankofamerica.com banking. You must be enrolled in online banking or download the latest version of the mobile banking app only available on select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Member FDIC. Okay, you lovely lot. Time now for some of Classy Claire's... Sneaky cheeky day. Cheeky in American English would be wise ass. Hi there, you lovely lot. So another Classy Claire's sneaky cheeky take. This one's for John. Have you seen those short shorts from the 80s? I mean, ask Mr. Rook. They were so short, if he turned around and maybe bent down, you'd get a sneaky peek of his cheeky cheeks. Yeah, baby! <laughs> I know, right? I'm sitting here talking to... Uh... Oh, gosh. Okay, all right. We were chatting. I know. Evan and I were... Evan and I were chit-chatting. Okay, so we appreciate Claire for that as well. All right, back to the phones. 855-PATS-500. Will is in Philadelphia. And William, you're in the playbook. How are you? How you doing, Mr. Book? It's been a while. I'm glad you called. Where you been, brother? Where you been? Uh, I, I've been listening to you. Trust okay. Me, every time you go live, I never miss it. I appreciate I you. I never miss an episode. I appreciate no you. Problem. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, what's on your mind? Uh, okay, uh, I know. So we in... Week four, correct? Yes. Week no, five. This is okay. actually week five now. We played week five. For, yeah. Week five. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. So I I don't want to how to say I don't want to go too far into next year. I just want to could you and Evan just give me just a little glimpse. Like who would you want to see uh, on as far as on this team? And then also, do you think Bill should be removed as GM? I'm not saying get rid of him as you know as the coach or whatever, but Maybe you might want him to step down as the GM because his drafting, which we all know, is 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 not that good. So you know, would you be okay with that, though? Well, I'll go first, and I'll let it, I'll, I'll, I'll let Ev go. But I, I would tell you yeah. no. Uh, okay. Number one, because I don't think that that's going to be possible with Bill. 
uh, just mm. considering wh- how long he's been here and the relationship right. that he's had, you know, within the right. structure of the Patriots organization. That being said, I- I'm also of the opinion that look, w- his his swings and misses are well documented, and they have come in some very high profile picks. But I would also tell you that I think he's hit way more than people give him credit for, especially when it comes to lower round draft picks and to undrafted free agents. So mm. uh, you know, I I, I don't. What I'd like to see out of Bill, as he clearly hits the twilight, or he's in the twilight of his coaching career here, and if he really is interested in surpassing Don Shula before you know we get to the twenty-second century, uh, is you know a little bit of change with the game, and and I think you've got to open up your attitude a little bit more. And I understand why Bill would say, "Well, I've done it this way for twenty-one years, or whatever, and I've had success with it. We won six freaking Super Bowls. What are you talking about?" But it's clear. I mean, you, it is clear that for old dogs to continue to be old dogs, they do need to learn a new trick every now and then. Yeah, I, I don't think, like you said, John, it, Bill being just the coach and not the GM is not an option. He's not going to go for it. So you're either you're either all in with Bill or you're losing Bill, right? Like those yeah. are the two right. things, and I, I don't blame him for it. Like you don't want, you know you want to be able to shop for the groceries, right? That's the old Parcells line, right? I can't, I can't make the meal if I'm not shopping for the groceries. And I I think that that's what Belichick feels like as well. And I I think to his draft record, to me, I, it's been better in the last couple of years. I I will say that, you know, I think that really, if you want to just look at the top of the draft, uh, you know, last couple of seasons, Kyle Duggar, I think was a really good draft pick. Then you get the Mac and the Barmore and the Ramondre Stevenson draft, which is, I think has been a home run so far. And then this year's draft, you're starting to see some of the players, you know, John Jones or John Jones, Jack Jones gets in there. So many Joneses, uh, Jack Jones gets in there last week. Marcus Jones gets in there on returns. Tyquan's now coming back and you hope that he's going to bring something. But I think from his drafting, uh, what I would always look for and I guess he got this potentially with Mac and maybe Barmore too but you know it still irks me that they took a guard in the first round last year and Colstrange has been great yeah Colstrange has been great right yeah but I think that the the focus needs to turn and maybe this is a little bit on uh, to your point John about updating with the times as well but the focus needs to turn on premium talent at premium positions right and they got that with mac i think at you know checking off the quarterback box but you need receivers you need dbs you need rushers you probably need a left tackle now moving forward or at least one tackle you need to start to hit on some premium blue chip talent at the most important positions on your roster. Like, it's great that Cole Strange is a plug-and-play guard. He's been good enough to start in the first four games. He hasn't been perfect, obviously, but he's been good enough. But does that actually move the needle for this team against Buffalo or against Miami or against Cincinnati or against Kansas City or whatever team in the AFC or in the NFL that you want to name, right? Whereas, you know, they played a guy last week, Quay Walker, linebacker that uh, from Georgia that, uh, Green Bay took in the first round. Mm-hmm. Was he perfect in the game? No, by no means he w- was he perfect, but he's a playmaking linebacker. Like this defense could certainly use a playmaking linebacker. They just brought Jamie Collins back because they have no playmakers at linebacker. Right. So like these are the types of guys that you look at and you say, you know, would that have moved the needle? Would that have helped the bottom line of this team more uh, than a guard? 
and we can get into the Shaq Mason trade and all that kind of stuff too, but you could have drafted a guard in the third round, second round, and, and maybe gotten the same thing that you've gotten out of Cole Strange. So that that's the biggest thing to me with the drafting is, you know, where's the value in, in, in the guard? Like, where's the value in that interior line versus if they had used that pick on a corner or used that pick on the, a linebacker or used that pick elsewhere, just me, in general? Let me play devil's advocate again because I know how you love how I you do, do that. Lo- yes. Okay. But let's just say maybe Bill, in this particular instance, has more of a bigger picture point of view than we're giving him credit for. Maybe he realizes, all right, well, this year is my opportunity to get the guy that I want. Strange. Okay? Yeah. Next year, with free agency, the salary cap rising, with more guys and more money available, I'm going to go out and be able to get the things that we need to do to be able to keep up with the Buffaloes, the Cincinnatis, the Kansas Cities. Okay. Is that possible? It's it's certainly possible, but I think what we saw in the free agent spending spree last off season is they've gotten some good players out of it. And I think a lot of the lamenting about you know the tight end contracts, for instance, or Nelson Aguilar's contract or whatever, is uh, it kind of misses me. But like you know, Matthew Judon a good player right and they got a pro bowl level player but unfortunately when it comes to free agency now the trade market's different the trade market is a a totally different animal but when it comes to free agency guys that are premium players at their positions do not often hit unrestricted free agency because they're either getting traded or they're getting locked up by the team that they're on right and so you're getting really like you know the second wave of talent and i think judon's one of those guys it's probably the one of the more talented players that you're ever going to see hit true unrestricted free agency so that's the problem with building through free agency is that you're getting the Johnny Smiths and the Nelson Aguilar's and the Devon Godshaw's of the world and you're not getting Chris Jones like that guy doesn't hit free agency Mm -hmm. so trades is different because receivers especially get traded like Tyreek Hill AJ Brown you know guys like that get traded so maybe they can add weapons through the trade market and be a little bit more aggressive there with the money that they're going to have to pay that guy. But I think mainly uh, that's why you build through the draft is because the free agent market is usually like that next step down in terms of level of talent. Can can I say something? Go. (laughs) Okay. But Evan, that's the problem though. Bill misses in the draft. And I mean, a little pushback on you, Mr. Rook, uh, you said he might hit a little bit more than miss. I, I I might disagree with you on that. I mean, he's been a little bit like massive. He's been like damn near harm. Seriously. I mean, well, I mean you don't only have to look at the numbers, Will. I mean, his his later round draft picks have definitely fared better than his early draft picks. Right, but look, okay, so you passed up on Devin Lloyd. You overreached for, oh, for I agree. Strange. You could I, wouldn't have been nice if you had got Devin Lloyd. Fly Corn Thornton. I didn't even, Strange. You know, I didn't even you know bring up Devin Lloyd. I forgot about that one. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we, I think we can all agree based on the way that guy has started his own season that you know that that certainly could be one the Patriots could have had, and they'd have probably had Strange in the second round. Yeah, it, it's just the same. The same thing with the Nikhil Harry situation. You could have had AJ Brown. You didn't want that. You could have had um, Marquise Hollywood Brown, DK Metcalf, Terry McCorn was in what the third, fourth round. You didn't want none of that. You want to go get. Nikhil Harry. Well, that was clearly a swing and a whiff. And I think with Nikhil Harry, too, uh, the one positive thing that maybe came from that is that they seem to have learned from the mistake because Tyquan Thornton is the total opposite player of Nikhil Harry, right? I mean, he couldn't draw – 
program two guys to be more different Opposite, in terms of right. skill set. So hopefully they learn from that one. Well, thank you for the uh, the phone call, buddy. Good to hear from you. Nicole Yang is in her uh, third season, actually, covering the Patriots beat for the Boston Globe. And Nicole, kind enough to take a little time to join us here in the playbook today. Hey, Nicole, how's it going? Good. How are you guys? Great, great. We we part of our conversation today has learnt, uh, certainly focused on you know the the entire um, escapade here at, at quarterback. One of the arguments that Evan and I had a little bit earlier uh, had to do with w- whether or not if the Patriots somehow got on a little bit of a of a roll here because the schedule allows them to get on the roll. Uh, you know, if we think that they can take care of business, and that has yet to be determined. And then all of a sudden, Mac Jones gets health again, but Brady Zappi's been a part of that role. Would Bill Belichick be wrong in, uh, you know, sticking with his rookie a la how he did it back in 2001? I think that would be kind of crazy if Daly Zappi were still the quarterback. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No matter how well they fare during this stretch, depending on how many games he goes, I think they're definitely going to go back to Max the second that he's healthy. Um, both in the short term, I think that's the correct decision, and in the long term. Yeah, based on, on and, and look, I don't necessarily agree with that. I was largely playing devil's advocate with Evan because I just wanted to see the vein pop out in his head. <laughs> he says head. that now. Yeah, so. No, no, it's just, it's a, hey, listen, it's called talk radio for a reason. So we, you know, we, we kind of get into that kind of a, of a debate. But at the same time, if you really believe in the value of Bailey Zappi, you know, why else would you have drafted him? You drafted him specifically to see if he could come in and potentially handle your offense if something were to happen to your starter. Well, something's happened. Why not play the kid? And if he's on a roll, why not just kind of continue going with what's going well? Yeah, I think, I think one game is a very small sample size, obviously. And I yes. think heading into Sunday's game against the Packers, if you pulled the Patriots' feet, they would not have expected that performance from Bailey Zappi based on how he fared during training camp. I think he comported himself much um, better than anyone could have expected. And I think we would all be a little bit naive to think that it's going to go that well uh-huh. in every subsequent game. Sure. Um, that's no discredit to Bailey, but just being a rookie quarterback, I'm sure um, through the course of however many games he has to play, more of his inexperience will come to light. So in the short term, I still think Mac is the better option. And then even in the long term, I mean, you drafted Mac with a first round pick. I don't, he's, clearly fighting to play based on all the reports that have come out this week and last. I, I think it would just be a horrible decision um, in terms of just preserving that relationship to continue to go with Bailey. Yeah, I think everybody, Nicole, assumes that Bailey is somehow just going to miraculously keep getting better, and it's never, it's you know, like, oh, we saw that game on Sunday. That's the floor for Bailey Zappi. It's only going to go up from here. So I right. loved your answers because that that's exactly – uh, what I was saying earlier, and John was was giving me a hard time to try to get me all riled up. Uh, <laughs> well, it worked. <laughs> it did work. Uh, another injury uh, coming back, Nicole, I wanted to ask you about the wide receiver position and Tyquan Thornton returning. And I, I think we're all kind of scratching our heads figuring out how do they get Tyquan on the field? Uh, they can't get Kendrick Bourne on the field already. You know, they already have a log jam there. So what do you think ends up happening at wide receiver and uh, – could maybe Bourne be moved at some point to make room for Tyquan Thornton? Yeah, so that's initially where my head went as well, which is that they might try and move on from Kendrick Bourne. 
I think at the beginning of training camp, when you looked at the wide receiver room, a lot of people pointed towards uh, Nelson Aguilar as a potential trade piece, but he has really, I think, taken a step forward in his relationship with Mac and also his performance on the field this year that I don't think that they would move on from him. It definitely seems like Bourne would be the guy. I mean, he's still, even though he's playing a little bit more, like he still hasn't really developed a regular role in the offense, uh, wrongfully so, according to some. So I think that would probably make the most sense, but I would, I would also be, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if, they sort of ease Taekwon into it as well. I was just going to say, do you expect them to use the whole 21 days that they have before they got to, you know, decide to bring him onto the active roster or not? Well, I think the initial timetable put us around week six to eight for the return. Okay. I imagine that they would try and gradually ease him into it, especially given the uncertainty at quarterback. But maybe they think it would be beneficial for him to – yeah, as many reps as soon as he's ready. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, it's tough to get a guy reps in practice. Yeah, right? yeah, you, you know? can't get game reps. I understand that. And if you're, you know, I would also suggest, though, that, you know, you want him out there when you know Mac is also available to play. Because if there's going to be any synergy at all between those two guys, and we saw some glimpses of that in, yeah. in, in summer camp, then I think that's probably about the time frame you're looking at. Am I wrong? There, Unless Bailey Zappi gets on your roll that you keep talking well, about. Well, there, you go. Yeah, <laughs> there, there you, you go. I mean, there you go. I mean, let's, Bailey Zappi's going to, you know, throw for 400 yards and throw six touchdowns. And I mean, that'd be pretty hard to ignore. Let me flip it over to the other <laughs> side, Nicole, because uh, the Patriots signed Jamie Collins this week for a fourth tour of duty in New England, which to me is just like, uh, it's it's almost incredible to think about. Why the hell did they let the guy go the first three times? Well, they brought him back for a specific reason, because they really are hurting at that position in terms of guys doing what they want done. Why is the linebacking position, in your estimation, been such a hard position for this team to fulfill? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if bringing back, like, Jamie Collins is so much a testament to what he could contribute or if it's more of, like, an indictment on the younger core. I think when Max Rowe was asked after the draft about why they didn't select any linebackers, he pointed to the young players like Cameron McGrone, Anthony Jennings, Rayquan McMillan, who were all supposed to sort of develop into this role, and it just hasn't happened yet. Um, I'm not sure if it's a coaching issue or if it's personnel. I, I don't think Jamie Collins is going to make, like, all of a sudden this drastic difference, though. So I do still think they need to focus on developing the younger players because this is where uh, the value is, um, like, long-term. Like, Jamie Collins might be a stopgap for – a little bit, but he's 32 years old, so I, I I still do think the focus should be on like the younger core. Well, I would ask I would ask this then in, in, in following up. It seems to me bringing a guy like Collins back tells me that this team, that this coaching staff, that this organization isn't too happy with those young players. Yeah, and you could see that like Mac Wilson effectively sort of got benched in the Packers game, and he's new, and so why is Josh Uche not playing? You know, that's the question that everyone wants to know the answer to. I think he's supposed to be, like, this cash rush specialist. And heading into the season, like, the, you could carve out the roles for all of these young guys and see exactly where they could slide in. But, like, Anthony Jennings has been a healthy scratch before. So it just um, – it's not all adding up. And maybe it's just taking a little bit of time um, 
to come together, but I'm not sure. It, maybe it's the fact that Gerard and Steve, like the linebackers coaches, also have to deal with the defensive play calling, so it splits up their responsibilities. But, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting chicken or the egg conversation at linebacker. Is it the development once they get these guys in the building or is it the talent evaluation in the draft, right? Because Josh Uche, Anthony Jennings, Cameron McGrone, they draft all these guys to try to move on from the high towers and the Collins and the Van Noys of the world. And there's just some sort of disconnect, whether it's one of those two things, right? It's either development, player development in-house or, or it's just bad evaluation or bad drafting. But where do you lean towards that, Nicole? Because I think that's the crux of the issue at linebackers. They've tried to take some swings here at, at getting younger at that position. And it just hasn't really stuck yet. Yeah. I mean, my initial reaction I want to say right now is coaching just because like, I feel we've seen flashes like Raekwon McMillan had a really strong training camp last year before tearing his ACL. I feel like Josh Uche has had his moments. Um, I know Anthony Jennings was sideline last year, but even during training camp, like I thought he had his moments too. So it seems like they've shown the skill set and been able to like, they've shown flashes of being able to serve the role intended for them but then for some reason like in the game it just like doesn't all come together so I want to lean coaching but what about you yeah it's it's an interesting one because I think those guys do have raw talent and I I would point towards maybe the the system itself and maybe this is where the drafting and the coaching hasn't always lined up and that's maybe the bigger issue because like Josh Uche has clearly shown us I mean every single summer we all write it Nicole that Josh Uche is is getting after it in training camp right it's like this guy's flashing every single day that we're out at practice but he doesn't really set the edge very well. So he's really just a third down pass rush type of player. And he's just kind of inconsistent in what his run defense brings to the table. So he's not developed into an every down player. And I think to a degree, Chase Winovich fell in the same category where he can clearly get after the passer, but he can't do the first and second down responsibility. So he ends up not getting a second contract here. So at some point, maybe they need to look at these athletic, you know, get off type of guys that are just explosive edge rushers, that might not be what fits here. And off the ball, I think that there is a maybe still that that disconnect of wanting to have some of the heavier linebackers, the Jawan Bentleys of the world that are 250 plus and how that fits into today's game as well. And I know they've tried to get smaller and lighter and faster there, but I still think that there's maybe a little bit of a disconnect in how they're being used in the scheme when they get here versus what their actual raw tools are when they draft them. It doesn't seem to me to make a ton of sense, and I think it's a very good point, Ev, because they've done real well with safeties, the guys that can come up and support the run. I mean, Duggar's been a great example of, wow, that's a guy that can come up and thump you, you know, yeah. if you need that. But then at the same time, if they're, lo- they're looking for heavier safeties and they're looking for lighter linebackers, you'd think that, that it's almost interchangeable, one and the same, but they're really just they're, they're, they're coming up empty with the quote-unquote lighter linebackers. Yeah, I mean, Mac Wilson's a guy that has a ton of raw ability, and I think right now his biggest issue is between the ears. It's not physical. Like, Mac Wilson can definitely play on an NFL field from a physical standpoint, but you see against the Packers just not really reading his keys and, and not being in the right places, and that's why he gets replaced by Jelani Tavai and gets benched effectively, like Nicole said. So, you know, I, I think a big 
problem is is that Mac Wilson is a see ball get ball kind of guy, but they're making him read things out and play things in a little bit more of a different right. scheme than what he's used to. So I, it, it's a lot of the same things I think w- with a lot of these players. Nicole, thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes. Really appreciate the insight, as always. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. You got it. All right, Nicole Yang. She's at Nicole C. Yang, Y-A-N-G, on Twitter. Let's get our boy in here real quick before we, we get on to uh, uh, the, the, the guru. Eldred, what's happening? What's up, Mr. Legend? How are you doing today? <laughs> I ain't in the truck today. I just got off. <laughs> ah, how you doing, Evan? Okay. I'm doing well. How are you? Great. All right. So where, where, pretty good. where was the route today, and what were you hauling? Uh, you, uh, you saw those pictures I tweeted you, right? Yes, yes. You did send them to me. Yes, uh, there was uh, three or four more boxes bigger than those. So I went to Charlotte and Gastonia with those. Okay. And so right. got off a little early about time because the last couple of nights we getting off at 8 o'clock. Uh-oh. At night, and that ain't good. And when were you? <laughs> and when were you starting? I started at uh, six. Damn! I ran ran to four fourteen, and I'm like, man, won't do that. It wasn't the job's fault. It's a lot of nitwits out there that can't drive, accidents, hidden mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, hidden uh, apartments and gas lines and everything, fire department, and everybody out right there. I got you. So that's another, another problem. Well, you know? all right. Well, you know, let us know, and we'll send the word out down Carolina way. Get the hell out of your way. <laughs> okay, I'll let you know the next time I'm in the, in the truck. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. All right. What's on your mind today? On my mind, I love Willem from Philem. He feels the same way I do about the GM. Yep. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah. I uh, figured like you would like that, by the way. But but I'm the first, Will. Uh, I've been saying for 15 years. I'm sorry. i got to take that title. <laughs> That's also true. No, you've been complaining yeah. about it longer than anybody. I, I give you credit for that. Anybody, yes. Because people be right there that you need, but he go get, well... If I don't get this guy, some guy down below the round, do the same thing he do. Just no, it's the reason why you're first. It's the reason why you're fifth and you're sixth. And I admit, sometimes fifth and sixth do I play a first, but that's rarely, you know, you know, rarely. Especially when you get when you know you got good linebackers or good corners that's still sitting there, and you need one of each, and you go get a compound center. I mean, a guard. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have gotten the third round. So you know, um, that's you know, that's my biggest gripe on that one. Thornton, I like Thornton. But Avalay was there, too. And so was a couple more other good receivers that's putting up pretty good, you know. But then again, like I said, I like Thornton. I, I'm sorry the kid got hurt. I can't wait to get back. But to me, the biggest waste to me is, like uh, Mr. Kraft did a couple of weeks ago, I'm paying this guy so much money, but you sitting him on the, on the sidelines because y'all got differences, you know, and that's bull. Because Park, uh, Parker's okay, but – I'd rather have Bourne because every time he get born in the game, he make plays. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it four or five. He make plays. He make he make catches, and you know, and he get open. But I just can't see how you gonna replace Parker with Bourne and him and Aguilar just about the same. So Aguilar got a little bit more speed. I like what Aguilar doing this year. You know, I'm glad he's there, but I don't know about that log jam at the receiver. You know, can't you put uh, Little Jordan back on the Packers squad? Jordan come back. Yeah, I think they can, can't they? Yeah, they can do that. Sure. But I, I think with little Jordan. And that makes and, room for Thornton. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think with little Jordan, though, his game day role is pretty he's, legit. He's really been a blocker. He's a, yeah, a and blocker. So, so he's, he's somebody he, that, that produced. 
Yeah, and, and and because that's what they're looking for, clearly because they got trouble to tackle. So they need a tight end in there that's going to do what they want him to do. Jonu Smith got hurt early last week, and so he, in effect, was the second tight end last week, and I think that's why he got a lot of time. Yeah, and he's also, you know, when everybody's healthy and all things are equal, I think little Jordan Humphrey, in a lot of ways, is replacing a fullback in this system. Right, And right. so they really feel... He's an feel, H-back. Right? Yeah, he's like yeah. an F or an H-back, and I think they feel really... Um, I think they feel like they need that, especially without Mac, right? You're not going to throw the ball 40 times. So I think they really feel like they need to be a run first and an effective run offense. And I think the tough part is, is that by most metrics, John, they're the number one rushing offense in the league, yeah, right? You know, DVOA, right. EPA, success rate, whatever mm-hmm. you want to use, mm-hmm. uh, the number one rushing offense in the league. So it's what they're doing on the ground is working. But the problem is, is, you know, that they've got more talented, pure receivers like a Kendrick Bourne, like a Taekwon when he comes back than little Jordan Humphrey. So it's it's a little bit of a it's a conundrum. You know, I, I think that if you yeah, want to be a physical identity and be a run team, uh, that little Jordan Humphrey does bring something to the table. Yeah, but see, that does all good. But when, once we get to the other guys, like the Buffalo and the Cincinnati, that can run and throw the ball. You go in a shootout, you, and you ain't gonna do too much on the ground trying to slow the game down. That, and anything that'll help them a little bit more than it help you. The way I look at it, yeah, you I know, think you got to match five power with five power. I think when they play Buffalo, and I know that Eldrick, I'm, I'm with you, but I think when they play Buffalo, that win game last year is how they want to play Buffalo, right? They want to play Buffalo. In, they want to keep the ball out of Josh Allen's hands. Yeah, they want to do what they used to do with Peyton Manning and the Colts back in the yes. early 2000s. Yes, control the clock, keep it out of his hands. If you play them any other way, you're just stupid. I don't. I don't know if. I don't know if today's. I think. Look, I. I think on a matchup point of view, that that still has a place in the, in the league in terms of a 17 game bird's eye, three thousand, you know, thirty thousand feet up. Like that's probably not how, how you're going to win consistently in the NFL in 2022. But if you look at it from a game to game perspective, you know, there are going to be certain matchups where that type of offense is going to be the type of offense that you want to play. Like you said, John, if you try to get into a track meet with Buffalo and right. play their style, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's going to be a long day as well. Yeah. What up? They also got a defense too, so uh, they do. Hey, uh, Evan. Yes, sir. Uh, Buffalo got a little bit of a defense, yes, because the, I, I know they got scored on a little bit, whatever. But their defense is legit a little bit. They're a little bit better than ours. Maybe not that much, but a little bit better. They have but a Evan, well, so I, far I, they I'm have. Gonna, I'm going to make you mad. Yeah, going to make you mad a little bit. Oh boy, I'm going to play what if. Okay. <laughs> oh Christ. What if? <laughs> <laughs> I already did that today, Eldred. I, I know where this is going. No, 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 no. Here comes no, no, the mystery no. box you again. You, you did that with Zappy. I'm not doing it with Zappy. Okay. All right. okay. What if? I, I'm, not, I'm not hoping for this because I don't want this because I'm already getting, getting it bad from the Patriots side and also my family side because we're down, down this year. Yep. What if we in the top five or top ten draft pick? T.J. Stroud is sitting there. And I know Bill wouldn't go get him. Because Bill, you know, he, he won't go get nobody like that. But he's a he's a packet pocket pocket. He's a pocket. He also can run. He also can scramble. He's also got a better arm. You know, I'd be glad to get Marvin Harrison Jr. if he come out in two years. But uh, question: Would you make the call if it was you? Would I draft after you've already Stroud. invested time and effort in Mac Jones? Yeah. Would I draft C.J. Stroud and and move on from Mac? I'm going to say no right now, but ask me again in, like, February, and let's see what the rest of the season looks like with Mac. But 
Hey, uh, what I said, Evan, I said if if we went that way, if we went that way, I'm not hoping we go that way. But if we end up going in the fifth or tenth, tenth or what you call, but I know Bill will trail out there because he ain't, ain't going to do that. He ain't going to want to do that. But I'm just saying, if, would you make that pull? I probably wouldn't. Say, yeah. I probably wouldn't. I, I think Mac is good enough that I would I would probably rather try to build the roster up around him and, and try to make it better here for him, better situation. But I I, I know that we're going to keep getting those calls, John. I, I know we're going to we keep are. getting them, especially if the season continues to we, go this we, we are. If the season slides downward, that's going to happen more and more. Yeah, but I just think that what you've seen from Mac, like for instance, I we just have a recent example with Arizona, right? Like Josh Rosen looked like crap. So that one's different, right? Like Josh Rosen comes out, the Arizona drafts him, I think like 10th overall or something like that the year before they drafted Kyler. He looks horrible, and Kyler is is right there for you. That one I think it was an easy decision, right, to move on. But I don't think Mac is Josh Rosen. He's been a lot better than what Josh Rosen's ever shown us in the NFL. So I I think that that's sort of uh, something – you disagree? No, no. I, I made a face, you and, and I, a face. that's why that's why you you know jumped in there. No, but the end result is not dissimilar yet. I mean, he did look. I got to give him credit. He made the playoffs as a rookie. That doesn't happen often. Yeah. Okay. It, it, how many times did we say that that had happened in the history of the NFL? Like a half a dozen times, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So I mean, it just that's I got to understand that. But again, this is an unforgiving. What have you done for me lately? Business. It is all about wins. It should always be about wins, no matter how you get there. And if you think that this franchise is better served by moving in a different direction with your offense with an extremely talented, more athletic quarterback, you might want to kick the tires on at least the possibility of consideration. I'm not saying that you don't go check the guy out at his pro day and and make it at least, you know, talk about it, right? You have the conversation. Yeah, I, I just don't think that you pull the plug on the Mac thing so quickly. No. And, but no. if they not pick pulling in, the plug on anybody. Eldrick's right, though. If they pick in the top ten, they're going to be they're gonna be trading down. That, that's going to be the case. A real woman could stop you from drinking. It has to be a real big woman. It's time to go around the NFL with football guru Russell Baxter. Now on, your name is Flounder. On Patriots Playbook. Flounder. Thanks to Evan Lazar, we bring in the guru himself, Mr. Russell Baxter. Hey, Russell, how are we doing today? How are you? How are we doing? Everything's good. It's all good today. It's all good today, you know? I mean, I realize the team is 1-3, um, but then again, you know, as you and I even talked a little bit about last week, and I know that you've uh, opined about this week as well, the Patriots have been in 1-3 in three positions and have found themselves successful in the long haul, so I don't get that there's a sense of panic, but there is, uh, we sh- shall we say, a large eyebrow raised toward this team's start in the first month of the year. Well, I'm trying to think the last time the Patriots actually opened one and three. Um, hang on. My memory's a little... Oh, that's right. It was last, last year. Last year, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I just like doing that to torment people. I know. Um, <laughs> it's like Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is one and three. Oh, my God, was the last time... Oh, that was last year. Yeah. You know? So, <laughs> I mean, listen, we have seven teams in the AFC that went to the playoffs last year. Only two of them so far this year have winning records, and that's Buffalo and Kansas City. Most of this league, I can't say most, I'm sorry, almost half of the league is at 2-2 two and two right now. 
19 of the 32 teams are at 2-2. Two and two. Only eight teams have winning records. That's crazy. Four weeks into the season. That's right. And I'm in the midst of writing a piece right now for NFL Spin Zone, shameful plug. Absolutely. Um, about just how sloppy football has been this year, especially on the offensive side. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I'm waiting for everybody to kind of get kick-started here. They're, listen, there's, Philadelphia's played well, um, both sides of the ball. They're so good in the offensive and defensive lines, and we know that's what wins. Um, but it, it, I find it funny It just that, Don, do you know who the highest-scoring team in the league is this year so far? Yeah, the Lions. Do you know what team has given up the most points in the league this year so far? Yeah, uh, the Lions. The Lions. <laughs> okay. Right? Which which is what I love when you actually put this out earlier, but uh, uh, the number one is rather significant because that's where the Lions rank in offense. It's where they rank in points given up. And I love this one. Um, their point differential, minus one on the year. Yeah, so that's pretty – that's to 141. Yeah. It's just crazy. And so, and so we do we know who's really, really good yet? No, but that's kind of how it's been. You know, that's how it's been for the last couple of years, especially the you know like the COVID years and so on. Listen, we saw a couple of years ago Pittsburgh get off to an eleven zero start mm-hmm. and fall apart at the end of the year. Um, you know, we saw the Rams last year go through a three game losing streak in the middle of the year, and they won the Super Bowl. Uh, the Patriots, I believe, were two and four last year. Right. Before they caught fire, so who, who's that? I mean, Buffalo looked like gangbusters at the beginning of the year, and then all of a sudden they lose at Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. So this is such an unpredictable league. It's such an unpredictable game, um, and you know tonight uh, we have two teams playing that can't get out of their own way <laughs> offensively, um, and both of them are down. Arguably their best offensive player. Right. Denver, Javante Williams is out for the rest of the year. And Indianapolis, Jonathan Taylor, who led the league in rushing last year, is out tonight. Yep. So, uh, you know, who scored the who scored the fewest points in the league so far this year, John? Indianapolis. Right. Who's thirtieth? Denver. Wow. So of course I say that and it'll probably be fifty two fifty tonight. So. Which would be highly entertaining, as we all know. But <laughs> yeah. but you're right, that's kinda of the way it's gone. The other nugget that I've loved that you that you put out early this week is the fact through four weeks, there are only nineteen occasions where a team has managed to score thirty or more in a game. This time a year ago, that number was almost double. So why are we seeing less offensive numbers, the Detroit Lions notwithstanding? Well, it's hard to put a finger on it and so on. Is it the result of playing less starters during the preseason? And when you do it, um, you know, some teams, that, it's funny, Buffalo did it uh, where they started everybody, I think, for a half just about it when they posted the Broncos. Josh Allen played, and some teams don't play their starters at all. And it seems like an unevenness that, I mean, there's, you know, other than really think about Patrick Mahomes uh, so far has really lit up the league um, in terms of the way he's played. He's not turned over the ball a lot. He's been highly productive. I mean, Josh Allen, listen, I think Josh Allen is the superior talent, mm-hmm. but he still has that turnover bugaboo with him. And, you know, it, it cost him against Miami, almost uh-huh. cost them last week when they had to come all the way to back uh, to beat Baltimore. Um, so it's, it's, 
there's there's kind of there's no real flow to the season so far, and I can't say I'm super surprised because just that's just the way you get ready for football season now. There's no real um, there's no real flow to the preseason, and I think in some ways that really kind of hurts. I, I and and yet, John, you don't play your starters during preseason to avoid injury, which is certainly one reason, mm-hmm. and yet. Year after year, we see guys get hurt in the OTAs. We get these guys get hurt in training camp. And early on here, we've seen some prominent names go down. Yep, sure have. All right, so let's take a look a little bit at the the schedule, some of the key games. You talked about the Thursday night game tonight, which I think certainly at least has a little bit of intrigue to it. But when I look sure. at when I look at Sunday's games, uh, I, I'm I'm kind of got my eyes riveted number one on the Bills at home against the Steelers because I look at a big mismatch potentially there, and yet at the same because Buffalo is like a two touchdown favorite over Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, Buffalo's at home, but. Why am I crazy to think that Pittsburgh's going to keep this close and make things interesting? Well, probably for one of the reasons I just mentioned, that the Bills don't necessarily do a great job of taking care of the football. Yeah. Okay? Now, they do a great job of forcing turnovers. They have nine takeaways this year mm-hmm. in four games. I got a bunch of them against Tennessee. Uh, but they turned over the ball seven times. Yep. So, now, I think one of the other reasons you might suspect that is a year ago in week one, not as big an underdog, but Pittsburgh went into Buffalo, did not look good, blocked the punt for a touchdown, and wound up upsetting the Bills. Mm-hmm. So, listen, we've seen in this league just about, and we already mentioned Buffalo and Jacksonville last year, okay? We saw some results last week. Um, you know, Cleveland looked like they had a head of steam up. And then they went into Atlanta and lost. So uh, it, it's literally anybody on any given day. And and by the way, let's look at the Super Bowl champion Rams, defending Super Bowl champion, mm-hmm. who offensively, and that's really their strength. Okay, um, they they can't they have they have more turnovers this year than they do have offensive touchdowns. I mean, remember this team in the postseason last year, and it's something I'm going to talk about over the weekend um, in, in a piece. But remember, they had a four-game run in the postseason, yep. uh, you know, where they blew out Arizona, uh, rallied to beat the, uh, the Bucks, rallied to beat the Rams, and then, ra- I'm sorry, the 49ers, and then rallied to beat the Bengals. Mm-hmm. And they, were, they took care of the football, they protected Matthew Stafford, and we really haven't seen any of that so far this year. I believe um, in both losses to the uh, to the 49ers and the Bills, and listen, these are two excellent defensive fronts. Don't get me wrong. Matthew Stafford was sacked seven times versus the Bills and sacked seven times versus the 49ers. And in last year's playoffs in four games, he was sacked a total of seven times. Hmm. Okay. Okay, I'm buying it. I'm, I'm buying it. I'm, I'm following you. I'm going along with it. I want to also take a quick look at the Dolphins at the Jets, simply because it is an AFC East division matchup. They're playing in uh, the Meadowlands for this one. Um, I, and clearly, I think Patriots fans would have to be sort of plugged in here. I'm almost uh, I'm torn between who 
you'd want to win the game and who probably should win the game and whether or not, you know, uh, the Dolphins without Tua, uh, you know, are as I – mean, he's a huge reason they're 3-1, and one, let's face it. Uh, yeah, he is. His accuracy, obviously, is a, is a very big deal, and, and he wasted little time getting uh, connected with uh, with Tyreek Hill, who leads the league in um, receiving yards. By the way, uh, you know, often we like to talk about trades like this. I think it's safe to say that both the Dolphins and the Chiefs won the Tyreek Hill trade. Yeah, yeah, I think they both did, sure. Yeah, they both did. I mean, you two know. teams can win a deal like that. They can well, win. Right. Sure. I mean, it's a change of scenery, um, and as many picks, five picks they got for Tyreek Hill, and the Chiefs needed help on defense and probably still need a little help on defense. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the one thing about Miami, obviously they already um, have a win over New England. They have a win over Buffalo. Um, they find themselves in, uh, you know, technically atop uh, the AFC Um And they've also, by just so you know, Go back to 2016, they've beaten the Jets 10 out of 12 times. Mm-hmm. Wow, 10 out of 12. That's, that's, I'd say that's pretty dominant. So that's pretty yeah. dominant. Well, the last time the Jets beat them, it's funny, the last time, this should tell you something, the Jets, last time they, they swept the Dolphins in 2015, that was also the last year the Jets were, to be honest with you, really super competitive. They were 10 and 6 that year and missed the playoffs. Mm hmm. Uh, in the NFC, quickly, I, I didn't want to leave this one unattached just because of the significance of the records. But the Giants and Packers are both three and one. Uh, I, I, are the Giants doing it with smoke and mirrors? No, they're doing it with Saquon and Barkley. <laughs> Good answer, yeah. by the way. I, yeah, you're you're, yeah. you're you're fast today, Russell. I like that. I, I do my best. Um, yeah, and by the way, guess who leads the league in rushing? And uh, guess who leads the league in total yards from scrimmage? Yeah, would that be? And yeah, guess yeah. Mm-hmm. Leads the NFL in rushing. Yep. And if you don't think Brian Dayball has had an effect on that team as far as playing physical football and so on, there you have it. The Giants, who have been simply a disaster for the previous five seasons, very gritty. Listen, I think when they came back on the road down 13 nothing and beat the Titans in Nashville, that set, and I know they lost to the Cowboys on Monday night. I understand that. But I think that was a confidence-boosting win for a franchise that has been lacking confidence since they last made the playoffs, which was, gee, back in 2016. They've been an utter disaster since then. Mm -hmm. And they have a new GM, they have a new head coach, and I think very much a new mentality and a very healthy Saquon Barkley. We know what kind of difference he can make when he's on the field. Absolutely. Speaking of uh, disasters, uh, the Cleveland Browns are at home. That's New England's next opponent after this week against Detroit. Mm-hmm. And they're 2-2 two and two against the 2-2 two and two L.A. Chargers. And uh, I'm thinking that because they're home, you're thinking, all right, good opportunity here for the Browns, and yet to find themselves a home dog in this game. Yeah, and let's, you know, listen. They they beat Pittsburgh a couple of weeks ago on a Thursday night, but prior to that, they also squandered a thirteen point lead with about a minute and a half left and mm-hmm. lost to the Jets. Yep, at home. So uh, Cleveland's got Nick Chubb. I think Nick Chubb might be second in the league in in rushing. Uh, the Browns are second in the league in rushing, but their defense has disappointed. And while they have you know, they're top 10 in terms of yards allowed. They have given up their share of big plays at untimely times. 
Say that two times fast. Yeah, right. And it's and it's not like you know Jacoby Brissett threw that late interception against the Falcons, but it's not like the, the Browns have been like particularly sloppy with the football this year. They just have not executed on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and, and listen, you know, Carolina had some success against them in the, in, the, in the second half. Obviously, the Jets did, and obviously, we saw Atlanta kind of seize the moment. I, I, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about the Falcons this year, and I understand that. But uh, they won their last two games. They get Tampa Bay this week, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, Atlanta was 0-2, now they're 2-2. Tampa Bay was 2-0, now they're 2-2. Welcome to this year so far. Right. The parody is there. Brings us then to the Lions at the Patriots. Both teams 1-3. Patriots are a three-point favorite at home. I guess the largest question is, is that, you know, can Detroit outscore a Patriots team that's liable to get somewhat of a boost because of Detroit's last place standing on defense? But they're going to have to do it most likely with a true raw rookie at quarterback in Bailey Zappi. Well, listen, this is a very, very balanced Detroit defense, okay? They're 30th against the run, and they're 30th against the pass. <laughs> okay? Bad, but balanced. So, if you've seen them, I mean, last week, uh, it, it's been tough to score 45 points and lose a game, but they managed to do it. Right. They scored 35 points against the Eagles and managed to lose. Hmm. Okay? So... Again, they've given up 100, given up 35 points a game. So they really haven't stopped anyone. You know, remember a couple years ago, uh, was it two, last year they gave up the second most points in the league. John, the previous year in 2020, the Lions gave up the second most points in a season in NFL history. So you're saying there's a trend here that just doesn't go well for the Lions. Yes. And I, th- I think the NFL would behoove itself and start calling this the Detroit Lions. But there's certainly <laughs> no D in Detroit. Ah, I like that one. The Detroit Lions. Okay, yeah. that's good. We'll patent that one pending to uh, Backs Football Guru. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Listen, if you're Dallas, Detroit, or Denver, you're going to be subjected to those jokes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But I mean, hey, in Detroit's case, or excuse me, Detroit's oh. e- case, it's it's hey, yeah. it's accurate. But I mean, yeah. I mean. You think about how teams are struggling to score this year, and Detroit has given up 38, 27, 28, and 48 points. Yeah. yeah. Okay? I mean, that, it, they, they sound like college football scores. So how many do you have the Patriots down for on Sunday? Uh, and by the way, there was a pick six in there. By Jared Goff, I believe, last week at the expense of Jared Goff. So, uh-huh. so uh-huh. I, I, I could see three touchdowns and three field goals and 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 the Patriots putting up a 30. Listen, I was very impressed with New England's balance last week. Okay? For all the – listen, they got, they got outbalanced last week because you saw the way Green Bay ran the football, and Green Bay's a different offense than they've been mm-hmm. in recent years. That mm-hmm. you know, one-two punch, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, so on. But I like the way Damian Harris ran last week, even after Hoyer went out. So um, that kind of balance, and we just kidded about it, but but it's true. I mean, I don't know if Detroit knows what's coming, um, but this could be like a 30-27 game with New England, you know, prevailing. Okay. 
I you know, I think there are a lot of people that would agree with that. I'm going 27-24, just a little lower than that because I'm I'm not convinced that New England can score more than that. But I, you know, who knows? Well, time, could, time will tell. As I always like to remind people, you know, Jared Goff, I think thrown 11 touchdown passes this year. Yeah, um, and has actually played pretty well considering you know right. all they've had to overcome on the defensive side of the ball. Sure, you know, is certainly susceptible. To a pick six, and listen, Aaron Aaron Rodgers doesn't get pick six much, but he got pick six last week. So, yeah, he did. He definitely did. Uh-huh. Russell, thank you, my man. Always great to talk to you. Uh, let's try it again next week, shall we? And we'll try to do a better job. Yes, I'm off to Detroit. Off to Detroit. Detroit. Oh, Detroit. Oh, duh. Yeah. Hello. I gave you the line, and then I just blew it. Okay. Well, that's that's pretty <laughs> typical for me. Detroit, it is. Thanks, yeah. Russell. Talk you got it. I love the guy. I just I set him up and I and I, and I blew it. It's been that kind of coffee a day. On my cho- choking on my coffee back. Here. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. Sorry. I'm going to give the final word of the day here to Chris in Atlanta, who's been hanging in there. Hey, Chris. Thanks for hanging on. You're in the playbook. Hey guys, how you doing? Good afternoon. Awesome. What's going on? Great, great. I appreciate everything you guys are doing with the podcast, and it's awesome to hear like minds um, speak on issues. But the one thing that I wanted to throw out there was. Um, one player that hasn't really been been getting the notoriety or the the plagues, so to speak. And I just wanted to ask the question to you both: How you felt about Sean Wade, and specifically him maybe leaning in to take Bryant's place on certain plays or schemes on the defense? Wade in particular. Yeah. Well, I don't really have any problem with that, provided you know that when he's in there, he has the opportunity to, to make plays. What we've seen with Miles Bryant and and Evan and I talked about this a little bit earlier in the show, but you know Bryant's getting picked on. He's undersized, and you know he's gambling. And when you put undersized with gambling together, burning is going to come very, very soon after that. I want somebody who's going to play steady, solid, you know, physical defense. And if Wade can do it, Wade needs to be given that shot. I, they like Bryant because of his pluck, and I understand that. But I'm all about results. Copy, copy. What about you? What? Tell me what you think. Well, honestly, I feel like between John Jones, um, Jack Jones, Mills, and and you know maybe the guys on the back end of the defense, um, McCourty, I feel like old blood and young hunger mixed mixes well together. Mm-hmm. And I've seen Wade throughout the preseason give a lot of it in, in terms of his opportunities in the game. And I'm not I'm not just advocating for one player. I know it sounds biased, but you know, in in my profession, we like to bring up individuals that we feel can um, help assist us. You know, in, in our endeavor. So, I see Wade as a catalyst, and and maybe you know should be given a little bit more opportunity, especially if they're going to activate him for the last you know couple of games or so, and be given an opportunity to maybe get out there and shine. If he doesn't do well, he doesn't do well. There's some more coaching that could be had, but sure. you know, I'd like to see a lot of the guys that aren't getting in and can maybe fill the void somewhere and maybe provide a spark somewhere. Okay. 
All right. Well, that listen, if, if the ultimate line, again, is I've said it many, many times and we will probably continue to say it many, many times. Ultimate result here is winning. You want to win. So whichever player is going to be able to get out there and give you a chance to win a game is the one that needs to be playing and get in the playing time. If you're producing, you're winning. If you're winning, you got to be out there. And so if you're not producing and you're not winning, then change needs to be made. Pretty simple. Agree. All right, Chris. Thank you, man. Thank you. Appreciate you. All right, Chris in Atlanta. Uh, and, ooh, before we forget. Come on, guys, it's game time. Yeah, Patriots! Did you earn some bragging rights this week? Did you lose? You shut your mouth! Make a move that you regret? I gave Peter Ronnie Brown. Okay. And he gave me Lexico Burris. The guy is in jail for two years, you moron! Did you go home crying and screaming? Every year I set this league up! Every year, and I never win! Time now for the Patriots Playbook Fantasy League Update. All right, this is the greatest Sunday tradition ever. <laughs> uh, Plexico Burris has been in jail for a year, you moron! <laughs> Love that, that. Would, that would be, I know, that's a, one of the greatest. <laughs> right. uh, all right, let's update the playbook of Fantasy League standings in first place. Team Panda! Oh, yeah! Team Panda, uh, who knocked off Belichick mate. Ooh, slaughtered them last week. 185 to 91. Holy smokes. That was a rout. Uh, Iowa Cornstalkers in second place. They beat the ZB Mull 144 to 104 last week. The Kamish is up to third. What is up with that? Making a comeback. You beat Team Tiggy 137 to 102. So you had a bit of a route yourself last week, didn't you? How about that? Nip Tuck is in fourth. Belichick's uh, video store in fifth. Rookster Damas is off the floor. He's off the out of the basement. He's in sixth. Team Tiggy in seventh. Belichick made his eighth. Greek Pats Nation ninth. Mac Attack is tenth. Todd's Taxidermist. Come on, Todd. That's weak. Eleventh. ZBMOL. ZBMOL is in last place and twelfth. Updating the Patriots Playbook Fantasy League standings for you. And we'll do that, you know, from time to time each and every week. And we'll rag on Todd because Todd is just, you know, well, God, Todd, that's just freaking awful. This is his first year. <laughs> Give him a break. Well, that's exactly why I don't play, because then I would say it's my first year, and I would suck, too. <laughs> I know. I won't even play in my own family's league. I've said that. You know, they, they, you know, my nephews, my brother, they're all trying to get me to play. My son, the rookie, trying to get me to play. And, I'm, you know, and I know why, because they know that dad's never played, and so we're going to just hose him unmercifully. <laughs> so I'm too smart. I'm too smart for that. I'm, I'm too smart, Mikey. I'm too smart. All right. Our thanks, of course, to uh, Evan Lazar, who does such a super job for us here on Thursdays when we bring him into the playbook. Our thanks to Eric Woodyard from ESPN.com, covering the Detroit Lions. Nicole Yang from the Boston Globe, covering the New England Patriots. And Russell Baxter, Bax Football Guru, ProFootballGuru.com, as he joins us each and every week. Thanks to you, gang, for being with us and sticking with us and supporting and calling and emailing and texting and tweeting and, you know, you know the routine. But thank you for listening, first and foremost. Uh, kickoff, 1 o'clock on Sunday. Got to win. Just win, baby. I'll borrow the old Al Davis line. Just win. It's really all it is. And we'll recap it for you next Thursday. Same Pats time. Same Pats channel. Right here in the playbook for the Pats and Browns. Next week. See you. Thank you for downloading this podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Google Play, and everywhere else you listen. 
Like the show? Please rate and review us. Listener comments and ratings help keep us high in the podcast rankings so new listeners can find us. Be sure to check Patriots.com for more news and more podcasts.